Welcome to What's Left, the weekly political discussion challenging the mainstream left. I'm Eduardo Barca with co-host, teacher and socialist Andy Lipson and community organizer and socialist Kenny Cepeda. We are online at what-s-left.webnode.com. Uh, please subscribe, rate, review, turn on your notifications and share your favorite episode wherever you found this episode. Thank you. Um, today we'll continue our discussion with John Kleisick. Um, John Kleisick is the author of School World Order, The Technocratic Globalization of Corporatized Education by Trine Day Books. And he's a contributor to New Politics, the Center for Research on Globalization, Op-Ed News, The Interpret Report, and The Dissident Voice. There is one more publication. Unlimited Hangout. <laughs> An unlimited Hangout. I have to... <laughs> I, I, should, I should have said it to you beforehand. It's all good. <laughs> all right. We worked well, it. Um, John Isaac is here to uh, join us um, to continue part two of last week's conversation on New World Order, the topic of New World Order, uh, and we'll continue that conversation right after having um, reaching out to our audience. Uh, Andy, if you could please take over and just tell the audience what we're looking for. Yeah. Um... For the last few weeks, we've been asking uh, any of our audience members if they, they themselves or if any, they know anyone who's had an adverse effect due to a COVID-19 vaccine. Um, we're hoping to do an episode talking to some people who've gone through some of that. Um, but people, you know, we need to hear from folks first. And uh, so if you are interested in talking more about that on a future episode, reach us at the contact information uh, to our web node listed in the description below. All right, well, I suppose then we'll, we'll go on and on part two um, on the topic of New World Order. You were going to maybe launch, Andy, with a question, or how did we... Yeah, Jake, is that all right, or do you want to say anything before I ask a question? No, no, go ahead and jump in with a question. Yeah, like, so you had a lot of, you covered a lot of ground. Um, we, last time you talked about global, global economics, global government, and global religion. Um, I guess what you called those are the structural features of the new world order, right? And today we're going to talk about the other side, um, which is more the implementation of the new world order. Um, and uh, so I had some questions that came up for me after listening around economics, and I'm probably going to break it up into two. Um, and I'm going to use Marxism as a compare and contrast. Um, so First, Marx, Marxists would definitely say in terms of production, production is socialized and it's planned, right? They bring workers together and they organize them and they try to make them more efficient and more efficient. They bring in robots and all that kind of stuff. But generally, the production part is very much planned uh, in terms of the, that part of the economy. But the exchange part, the market part, Marxists describe as anarchic, uh, that essentially all these different production centers, uh, whether they be multinational or national or local or whatever, all essentially meet at a market where they're like hoping to get profits, but they don't know. Um, and it's so in that regard, uh, that anarchic part of the exchange part of the of the economy that Marxism sees is what is is responsible for a lot of the mischief that we that we see under capitalism. Um, so. How would you assess that vision in light of, you know, with how you see the global economy? Would you agree that it's an anarchic exchange place or would you see more planning all across the board? 
Um, so, um, I so I don't want to. I, I, may, I hope I didn't do this in the first episode, but for, for both as a review for the last one and this one, uh, I don't mean to um, um, overstate the amount of central planning or the amount of centralized control in in any of those three. Uh, main elements of the of the infrastructure, the, the governance, the economy, or the, the ideology, religion. Um, so, so there is that element that is essentially not uh, totally controlled or able to be controlled. And I think, um, you know, I think you you had mentioned um, like the the boom bust cycles as maybe a, an example of that. Um, and it's. So to the extent that those, those elements can't be entirely planned and controlled, like with foresight, like, okay, you know, we're going to go ahead and, you know, do X, Y, Z, and then that's going to have this, this specific outcome. Um, they sort of anticipate these boom bust cycles or some of the, some of the messier parts of it. And that uh, in that process, um, if, if, what they try to do is set up the situation where um, in, a, in a boom cycle, you basically, there's a lot of innovation. And so a lot of people jump in and uh, they basically build the infrastructure. I mean, think about like uh, on the, the internet era, right? All these people like wild, wild west, doing your YouTube channels, doing all your different media. And then after you basically built uh, a large part of this, this new market or this new infrastructure, then comes the bust, and in that process, right, the, the, the large companies, and in particular the, the engines of finance, come and swallow everything up, uh, usually through, you know, a, a debtor-based capitalism where when that, when that bust cycle happens, uh, you know, companies, especially those that um, either didn't have enough capital or had, were, were on a bunch of loans, that they're going to get swallowed up and bought up, right? Another the real estate markets are a good example, like during the, uh, the housing crisis, right? Um, a lot of people would have got those subprime mortgages, you would have put a bunch of money into it, and then you lost your house, and guess what? The bank got it back, right? And so, um, so, so that element is not entirely controlled, um, but it is anticipated in a way where... Um, they tend to uh, end, end up on top of the, of the system, right? They get to buy up all the stuff and, and swallow a bunch. And because Marxists see it, the, 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 the market and the exchange place as anarchic, that is how we understand the boom and bust cycle um, of the economy. It comes out of the system. It comes out of a system where you have planned production, but trying to get trying to get profits at a place where you don't know you're gonna get profits. And because of that, it leads to this horse race where eventually you get essentially an overproduction as everyone races into the market to get, to, to get the profits that can no longer be claimed any longer. And so then you get the bust, then you get profits aren't made, then production goes down, people get thrown out of work. The capitalists can ride that wave, but it is that cycle of, of it, it's, the, it's the anarchy of exchange that is responsible in part, there's another reason to it, for the the cycle of a, of the market to go to a boom and to a bust and then to a boom and then to a bust, um, so I, I also want to know if that if if um, if new world order people had a way of explaining or if they saw that boom and bust as a natural byproduct of the economic system because we because Marxists do. Um. So 
I don't know that they would see it as part of the uh, like the economic mechanism of capitalism itself. I, I think they would they would look at it as um, even something that spans any any kind of economic system, um, even pre-industrial, like pre-capitalist. Um, so, you know, your, your agrarian revolution, your feudalist revolution and moving all the way up. And, you know, I guess Marx kind of does the same thing when he, when he historicizes. Um, I think that uh, from a new world order perspective, so to speak, they would look at it more in terms of um, not just anticipating like boom bust cycles in this engine of capitalism, but looking at like historical cycles uh, in economic systems, but also the historical cycles of civilizations, right? And in like, you know, I'll, I'll give you two interesting examples. So there was a, there was a book, it's, there's a concept that comes out of it. People have been talking a lot about it lately. My publisher used to, has been talking about it forever. And I remembered uh, him talking about it one of the first times I, I listened to him. And I, I want to say it's, it's called Generations is the title, and it's something like uh, our, the history of our past or something like that. But there's this concept in there called the fourth turning, and it talks about that there's these four different types of generations, uh, regardless of your economic system. Uh, and it's more cultural, and it has to do with the roles that each generation plays. And um, I believe it's every fourth generation, there's a period of crisis and during that period of crisis you usually have something it's about every 70 years i want to say and there's a crisis uh usually something like a financial crisis a war it's something that really upends the entire system so uh people from you know if you want to analyze it like uh, from a new world order perspective they would say that they anticipate these crises not not necessarily as an engine of capitalism but just as an engine of culture and civilization uh, and knowing that those are going to come right they'll anticipate they'll try to set up the market in a way where right some of the the plebes the the proletariat they're left with an empty bag and they get to buy everything up and then you can also look at cycles like um, empires only last about 250 years and if you look at where we're at right now in the united states we're at both of those points we're basically at the end of the cycle of an empire, but at the end of that fourth turning. And so, right, you can see right now we've got the fourth industrial revolution. And so you can see that basically as an example of, right, they know this is going to come. So, right, we're going to set up this new digital economy. We'll make it, you know, seem like this kind of laissez-faire thing at first. We'll let everybody build stuff. And then, you know, when the time comes, they, they're going to hopefully, um, you know, flip the system and just and change some change some of the mechanisms and, and sit on top of it um we'll probably talk a little bit about tragedy and hope today and carol quigley and um he, he has a whole history of this this book starts with like all the way back to he traces capitalism back to the uh, early shipping era and basically the, the insurance companies coming out of right the shipping trades uh and that being an extension of the banks and then that's like your, your, the core of your early uh, market revolution, your, your early capitalism. But even in like the United States uh, and, and uh, you know, the, during the British Empire, he looks at cycles of capitalism and I'm, I'm going to get them wrong in order. But it's something like you have like an industrial capitalism 
then you have like finance capitalism, then you have monopoly capitalism. And I, I don't remember all the particulars of, of those two different systems, and I'm probably missing some. But in each one, they hit one of, you know, it's it it changes because you hit one of these crises in civilization. Uh, and all they really do is change, rearrange some of those mechanisms so that the risk is put off on the workers and that, right, they get to basically buy up the assets and accumulate the profits. There's also, I'll just want to say one more thing, you know, and it ties into the whole world religion thing and the occult thing. And there's a, there's a term that's used um, in some of the occult practices, and it's called order, order out of chaos. And so, again, it, this, this ties into, uh, you know, it's like a, a form of manipulating the Hegelian dialectic. So, you know, knowing that it's going to come, you know, basically, rather than just wait for it, right, using these, using these timelines, you know, basically be involved in triggering it to sort of hedge your bets against, you know, getting out on top of it. So, yeah. No, I, I just, yeah, no, I, I think that's helpful. I just figured... Those were some questions that came to mind. I just wanted to see how you would put those in terms of a new world world order, and I, I do think those are those are alternative ways of looking at things. Yeah, you know, I think I touched on that whole age of Aquarius thing in the whole uh, new age stuff too. I mean, that's another example, right? So, um, you know, looking at the sky clock up there and looking at right, as the the houses, the astrological houses change. These are these are markers that you know. The people, they, some people would say, uh, you know, some of these older uh, societies, some of these older secret societies, that right, they've, they've kind of had this concept in mind going back, you know, looking at the empires from Sumeria to Acadia to Assyria to Egypt to Babylon and then, you know, to the Romans and so forth, right? Yeah. I'm good. Essentially, what you're saying, though, is that there is, there is some anarchy in John, but there, but the, but the anarchy is only allowed to a certain point to then be controlled, and it's it's then that there is that control that by by bigger players, right? That that, that control this, that eventually uh, don't allow for any more of the system to be able to be competitive enough in nature because it will still be, it still has to go according to the agenda of the new world order, no? Yeah, right, right. So, right, knowing that, you know, you can kind of think of it like when you have this crisis, if you've ever wrestled, there's a, something called a scramble, which is where neither person has a top position, neither person's in control. And if the crisis happens and nobody anticipates it and nobody's aware of it that's a, that's a time for you know the chinese would say crisis and opportunity they use the same character for the same term right and so uh but but knowing that that's going to happen right they try to set it up where i like that term a limited amount of competition right a limited amount of resources a limited amount of uh you know freedoms or liberties that enable you to actually uh, uh take advantage of the scramble during that crisis and that would require massive coordination though with everyone involved to be able to handle such anarchy of well i'll use another word or the cows of the cows of 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 the boom and bust or whatever economic um mechanism or natural mechanism there is at a certain level um but if you think about institutions in a pyramidal structure you really only need to control the trustees 
right? Mm-hmm. And then the trustees are going to hand down the orders to the CEOs or the board, and then that's going to go down to the administrators, and then that's going to go down to the people uh, on the floor at the job. And I, I just think about my own, you know, teaching at the college. Um, everybody was doing all the, they, they're pushing all the trendy buzzwords that the World Economic Forum talks about, but nobody in there is talking about the Great Reset or, or Klaus Schwab or any of that. So, it's, it's, you know, so all those people are not being, you know, uh, dangled on puppet strings. They're not being coordinated. It's just that, right, the agenda for the larger industries, if you think about, you know, each industry, I think I broke it down into, you know, your media, your energy, your communications. You've got a handful of companies that basically run these entire industries. It's, you know, at a certain level, it seems like massive coordination, but it's, you know, it's, it's pretty much just a handful of oligarchs that, that uh, give orders to, to their industries. And then it just kind of is osmosis from there. Mm. I do have a question. Um, and is there some sort of um, set of values that guide this order, the new world order, or the people that maybe take advantage of, you know, the crisis? And so, I mean, why do they do this? Is this for the, you know, the betterment of humanity or for, you know, for having order uh, out of chaos? You know, um, I'm just curious if there's any, like, what is the motivation, um, maybe? Well, if we want to look at what I believe is the, the final product, which is the most demonstrable, which is your, your transhumanism, and it's the creating, creating the new human. Um, so, you know, I guess, you know, I'm not in their heads, you know, so I've thought about it oftentimes, like, do they really believe that, like, this is the good thing to do, like, to, you know, get us all genetically, you know, uh, uh, superior or whatever, they think they're going to help us by plugging in all these computers into us and putting us in the internet of things and the internet of bodies, do they believe that when they tell us that, or is that just like, you know, is that just propaganda and they know that they're really, they're really just screw jobbing everybody, um, I don't know what they actually believe about it, but it, but if you want to boil that down to an ethic, that would be the ethic that, you know, that for better or for worse, um, they think they're, they are improving the, the human creation or the, the human condition by, by doing this, right? You know, and they also would probably think something to the effect of they're the experts and we, we don't know any better. And so it's better for us if they, uh, if they would do it. So I, maybe something like that. And if you wanted to go the world religion route again, you know, you might you could say that they're basically Luciferians and you could say something to the effect of when you look at the transhumanist stuff, you have several different. I got uh, Sergey Brin and Larry Page who say that, that Google, they want it to be the mind of God. Um, you have Yuval Noah Harari, homo deus, God, man. You have Ray Kurzweil, chief engineering at Google, who says that brain computer interfaces will make us more godlike. You have the way of the future church of artificial intelligence. Uh, and then you have like the Sophia robot, which is Sophia is the goddess of wisdom. So like they use religious iconography when they create this transhumanist technology. So, you know, do they, do they, do they have some sort of a occult spiritual ethic? Maybe. Um, or maybe it's just, you know, totally a technocratic thing, or maybe that's all just window dressing. And it's more like, uh, in 1984, when, um, they're torturing Winston. O'Brien is torturing Winston and um, trying to basically get him back into double think, where he believes, where he believes that he loves Big Brother. Right? He's got to this place where he he understands that right. That's it's um that it's basically a totalitarian society, 
And then O'Brien at one point basically says, like, well, you think he, he's, like, looking at him while he's charging. Oh, you think you got it figured out? He was like, no, you don't have it figured out. There's nothing to figure out. We just do this because it's power, and that's what, and we'll just keep doing it like a boot stepping on the face of humanity forever is the quote. So I know that's several different options, but, you know, those would be – that would be a basket of theories about what, what they actually believe that I, I couldn't tell you unless I got in their heads. And isn't that one of the reasons though that the eugenics notion is important is because that often seems to be the framework that you talk about in terms of the, in the back of their mind, there's a set of people who deserve to go on forward into a better future. And then there's just a, a whole other set of people, generally a large, much larger group that is kind of trash and it doesn't really matter what happens to them. And, uh, that apparently, I feel like that's, you know, it's racist, it's elitist, it's, it's anti-human, but that is one of the things that I hear often coming up in New World Order is each of these people is, a, is connected to a family where eugenics or connected to a set of people where eugenics ideas were popular. Um, and so that's another way that I would be like, okay, that, that set of people, if they were going to go in a transhumanist direction, they have one set of transhumanism for one set of people and another transhumanist outcome set for the rest of us. Yeah, they basically. Right. And, um, you know, they would also maybe, you know, like they, whereas you and I, you know, we would have something more of a golden rule and say something like, right, that's racist. That's wrong. You should treat everybody the same. They would say, well, no, that's immoral because, you know, you have a response. If you're smart enough to take control of evolution uh, and improve the human species, then it, that's immoral not to do that. Right. And then, you know, don't why we walk through the eugenics thing. I'll show you, too, that, um, you know, people like the, you know, uh, now they, they were called the intellectual aristocracy. So they weren't actually like the royal families, but they're pretty close up there. Right. And so, you know, you're talking about people that, you know, for, for uh, eons have thought that they were better than, than the regular people, the peasants, the serfs, whatever you want to call them. I think, are we ready to get into? Yes, I, I'm ready. I'm not sure if everyone else. Yeah. All right, Jake, it's your show now. All right. So one of the things that uh, I think is a nice segue from last time is if we look at the uh, roundtable groups um, and I've got those under. So that'll start us under occult and secret societies. And um, that'll, that'll transition us from some of the world government, world economic uh, organizations into some of the more secretive groups. OK, so. Um, under the call and secret societies, I have roundtable NGOs, non-governmental organizations. And then uh, you can see when I go in there, it's not, it's under all three of those. Okay. And I can't move it to the left to get y'all. Under all three, meaning it's under secret societies, world economy, and world government. Right, 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 right. Um, and I have it under secret societies, not because they are secret like nobody knows about them obviously right all of these have some form of a public public face uh, even this even skull and bones is incorporated as the russell trust association right what makes them secret is that they don't record their minutes okay and they don't uh some of them uh don't uh record their memberships so um in the roundtable ngos i got here the bilderberg group club of rome Milner Roundtables, Trilateral Commission, and then if I open up the Milner Roundtables, 
Uh, you'll see it's connected to the Road Society. And then you'll see it's also connected to the Council on Foreign Relations and the Royal Institute for International Affairs. So those are all, uh, those all follow something called Chatham House Rules, uh, C-H-A-T-H-A-M. And those are basically uh, rules for when they hold these uh, round tables uh, with, uh, you know, everybody from media, governance, uh, uh, finance, um, and, you know, uh, on an international scale. There's the Chatham House Rules means that you, uh, you can't take minutes. You can't record what people say. You can talk about the topics that you everybody discuss, but you can't say who said what uh, and whether or not that was actually dis discussed there. Okay, and so it, to that extent, right, they have a a, a secretive um, mode. Okay, um, they come the, these Milner roundtables uh, were formed by a guy named uh, Lord Milner, and he was part of this. Uh, this special group that were um, part of Cecil Rhodes's not not the Rhodes Society as we know it today necessarily. Uh, there was there was an inner circle that he called the uh, the elect, and then there was the Association of Helpers, and the Association of Helpers would be the the, the public faces of these roundtables. But uh, the elect would be like uh, sometimes they're called the Cliveden set um, or the All Souls group, and that was Cecil Rhodes, Lord Milner. Uh, William Stead, uh, Lionel Curtis, um, and there's others that I can't remember right now. This is all discussed in uh, this book here, Tragedy and Hope by Carol Quigley. Um, and uh, I'm just going to forget what I'm saying by doing that. I was going to show you the picture of him on the back where there's a quote from Clinton saying that um, that was his mentor and that he, he really liked, uh, he, he really wanted to, uh, he really honored uh, it was at his inauguration speech that he that he mentioned Carol Quigley, but Carol Quigley basically said that um, after World War One, uh, that this that this uh, elect circle inside the uh, Cecil Rhodes's group of buddies, uh, they formulated through these Milner roundtables uh, because after he died, the trust was handed over to Lord Milner, and then he set up uh, the Royal Institute for International Affairs and the Council on Foreign Relations. The Royal Institute for International Affairs is basically the British version of our Council on Foreign Relations. And these are basically um, not, these non-governmental organizations or these roundtables where you would have everybody get together and discuss foreign policy, right? And they would discuss things like, you know, setting up uh, League of Nations and, and other, other types of uh, international uh, deals, okay? Some people, just to kind of illustrate uh, the, the influence of the Council on Foreign Relations, you got American presidents like Bill Clinton, Dwight Eisenhower, George H.W. Bush, Jimmy Carter, Richard Nixon. Then you've got CIA and national security officials like James Woolsey, uh, Alan Dulles, McGeorge Bundy. McGeorge Bundy, by the way, is Skull and Bones. Uh, William Bundy, uh, Zbigniew Brzezinski. Then you've got uh, U.S. military and Department of Defense, uh, Defense members, so that's people like Elihu Root, Colin Powell, Edward Mandel House. Uh, that was one. Of, that was one of the um, main advisors to Woodrow Wilson during the formation of uh, the CFR and the uh, Royal Institute of International Affairs. You've also got Dick Cheney, uh, Bill Cohen, Paul Wolfowitz, 
You got U.S. Congress members like Christopher Dodd, Dianne Feinstein, Bob Graham, Joseph Lieberman. You've got American media like Dan Rather, George Stephanopoulos, Tom Brokaw, Jim Lehrer, Barbara Walters, Diane Sawyer, Steve Ratner, Bill Moyers, David Gergen. David Gergen was at Bohemian Grove, um, and we'll get, that, we'll get to the Bohemian Grove later. And you've got uh, American financiers and members of the Federal Reserve, including Avril Harriman, Skull and Bones. Um, then you've got Alan Greenspan, Paul Volcker, Paul Warburgs, who set up the Federal Reserve System, uh, George Soros, Timothy Geithner. He used to work for the IMF. You've got Larry Summers, um, John J. McCloy, Michael Bloomberg, David Rothkopf, and then I've got a whole list of uh, people that were in the Obama administration because I wrote this piece back when uh, when he was in office. I won't go through all of those. Um, you've also got secretaries of state, Henry Stimson, Henry Kissinger, Condoleezza Rice, John Foster Dulles. Uh, Charlotte used to take dictation for John, John Foster Dulles when she worked in the State Department, by the way. It's just an interesting little factoid. And then you've got several Rockefeller uh, family members. So David Rockefeller, David Rockefeller Jr., Jay Rockefeller, Nick Rockefeller, Mark Rockefeller, Stephen Rockefeller. All right. So that's that's a that's a very, very abbreviated list of very influential people in the Council on Foreign Relations. I don't know a lot about the members of the, the uh, RIIA, Royal Institute for International Affairs, but right, gonna be the same thing, but just plug in people in, uh, in England, okay? And should I pause for a second? Because I feel like I'm just-, um, just Yeah, yeah. Um, so just, just to be clear, what you are describing here, and there's a, this is just one set of places that are kind of, it's not like they're off the books. That is, people know about the Council of Foreign Relations, but what you're describing are bodies where different sets of people who are in places of decision-making power can convene to collaborate and discuss how things could happen. And the thing that's, so it's not, so it's, you're just to say, look, there are these institutions, there are all these places where people meet. And secondly, when they meet, they go by these rules that essentially say we don't. We're not going to keep minutes. We're not going to really uh, allow allow the discussions to be to be put brought out to the open because it's going to be done in this the Chatham rules or no minutes. And um, I, I guess the people who are there said there. I'm not sure what else you said about it, but they can only refer later to the, some of the subjects that come up there. But is that is that what we're talking about here? not just with the Council of Foreign Relations, but in, in all these areas of secret societies, we're just talking about essentially on the books and sometimes off the books places where powerful people meet um, in ways that we don't often, we are not often told about. Right, right. So when they get to the, when they have their meeting, okay, so like CFR has the foreign affairs as their publication. And I used to have a subscription to it and um, I don't have it anymore. Um, but so I guess one way to think of it is, when they whatever they publish is is after they figured out how they want to present it to the public in a way that's going to get us to go along with it or like it right uh and it's always moving towards globalization it's always moving towards uh, uh more uh international interdependence right and sort of um uh making those lines on the map less and less relevant right making those economic trade agreements sort of uh, uh override any domestic uh, elections and things that you'll have. 
So, so the stuff that's off the books, that's not the, where they don't record the minutes, that's probably where they discuss things in a very open way to say like, well, if we say it like that, you know, <laughs> that's not going to work. And then, so there, so there is still a public face, but right. As, as I just noticed there, I've mentioned, right. You have intelligence, military, media, department of state, presidents, right. All getting together and having a discussion, right. You're not, they're not just talking to their own departments. They're not just talking to their own constituents, right. They're talking to themselves as their constituents, right? I mean, and if you just look at look at that as its own group or its own club, um, that's a very different um, picture than what they give us when they talk about this. This agency does is for you know economics. And this agency is for health. And this agency reports on the media, right? And um, you know, so when you have all these people there. Uh, you know, there, there's, I don't want to call it necessarily collusion, right? But, um, you know, uh, that's not the way that, that uh, we are presented as far as how our government works, right? We think that, you know, we've got some elected officials and that they make decisions, but, right, really there's a lot more decisions made in these places and, uh, you know, a lot, of it's, a lot of it's basically off record. Is there any hierarchies within these organizations or uh, is there more power, for example, from the U.S. Uh, groups versus Chinese groups or is somewhat egalitarian? I'm curious if you have any sense of that or. Well, I could say and maybe this is a nice place to jump for a second. And um, if we look at something like I don't know how well I. Uh, many examples I have for some of these other, but if we look at something like the Bilderberg group, you'll see here that um, two examples I have is you have David Rockefeller there, and then you got Prince Bernhard of the Netherlands, who, by the way, uh, was a Nazi stormtrooper, okay? Um, but you see that they have, like, they have literal uh, royal families there, Okay, and so I, you know, I don't know how much weight they really hold, you know, after World War One, supposedly the uh, the old world of kings and queens was only was basically done away with and was at that point, you know, supposedly ceremonial, but they're there at these meetings. So, you know, do, do they still hold the same uh, 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 weight that they had, you know, prior to that? Could be, maybe, maybe they have, you know, more weight in what they say. Um, but I would definitely say somebody like David Rockefeller, he's not only uh, at the CFR and Bilderberg Group, but he's also founded the Trilateral Commission and, if I did it right, yeah, it's part of the Club of Rome as well. And then he's got his foundation, he funded the Nazis, he's got his eugenics organizations. Um, so definitely, in, in as far as America is concerned, I would say the Rockefeller family is is pretty high up there, uh, and then you know maybe maybe some of your your royal families are are far up there as well. Um, you know that's about as much as I could I could say as far as um, is there is there a hierarchy? But one thing you also asked is like other uh, other nation states. Now something like the um, Trilateral Commission, that is actually, uh, it came up in the 70s, and it was set up by both David Rockefeller and Zbigniew Brzezinski, and uh, Jimmy Carter was part of that uh, setup, and uh, that was a partnership between um, not just uh, Europe and the United States, but we added Japan into that mix. I don't, I don't think Japan 
um, was in the mix in um, in the CFR or or the Royal Institute of International Affairs. That that was largely what um, Carol Quigley called the Anglo-American establishment. So like a merger of um, United States, the North American powers, and uh, and, and Western Europe. Um, um, so, so I, so you know, there, there's possible. It's possibly that um, you know the the Soviet blocs might might be in some competition, um, but you know I wouldn't know more than that. I, the only thing I would, I, the only reservation I would have with that is, you know, I've gone through Rockefeller Foundation documents since it was founded, and I think I want to say 1914 uh, or 1913, one of those, and um, they were they were funding uh, building up like the medical system in China from day one. And there's a there's a note uh, there's a New York Times article in the 70s where David Rockefeller praises the Cultural Revolution, says it's the greatest achievement in humankind. So you know, although they're not at you know at some of these meetings, uh, it seems to be that there's a lot of that these these Western powers put a lot of investment into some of those other um, uh, communist states, uh, and so you know. Maybe there's maybe there's other connections uh, through through other means. And now we're kind of getting to this, maybe sort of like the specifics of where where you might see the power centers being. Like um, Marxists will talk about a capitalist class, and Marxists will talk about nation states, and particularly the dominant nation states is still sort of representative of a capitalist interest and in expressing some kind of competition. Uh, between the say U.S. and China, or U.S. and the former Soviet Union, or what have you, but even U.S. and Germany, but um, but here I think what you're kind of getting at is, first of all, presidents, um, yeah, they they represent fig they're figures in this in this thing, but they're not going to help you understand the continuity of um, of of policy that ex that is underneath it that other people would have called the deep state that kind of runs the show no matter what president you fill in there obama clinton you're going to kind of have a continuity and some people said oh no it's the military industrial complex and things like that but i think the new world order would would look more to these long term families right like as the sort of as representing the deep roots to if you wanted to understand who's really running the show it's not like rockefeller doesn't have to deal with wolfowitz or doesn't have to deal with uh, Cheney, or doesn't have to even deal with Trump or Biden, but that the Rockefeller family represents a, uh, a a deeper a deeper root into the power and into understanding the direction that power plays itself out globally. Even you're saying is that is that am I understanding that properly? Yeah, and you know, so so you could almost think. I mean, we don't technically we don't have royalty in the United States, but if you had to pick a family, the Rockefellers been in, in power for over what a hundred something years at least um oh, I, I, um and, and by and that also ties with why so if you think about old money families technically rockefellers would be considered new money like old money families are those royal families that go way back right and this this can kind of give you a, a an insight into how you know i mentioned these, these planning for these 50 year cycle 70 year cycles 200 year cycles well if you're if you're a royal family you all have been keeping you know genealogies and historical records for literally centuries right i mean like it's not inconceivable right and um there's a quote i just want to read this this is from this is david rockefeller's memoirs okay this is in a chapter called proud internationalist it's on page 405 
uh, and David Rockefeller says this, for more than a century, ideal, ideological extremists at either end of the political spectrum have seized upon well-publicized incidents such as my encounter with Castro to attack the Rockefeller family for the inordinate influence they claim we wield over American political and economic institutions. Some even believe we are part of a secret cabal working against the best interests of the United States, characterizing my family and me as internationalists and of conspiring with others around the world to build a more integrated global political and economic structure. One world, if you will. Here's the kicker part. If that's the charge, I stand guilty and I am proud of it. In his own words. You know, and you can say he's being tongue-in-cheek, but um, you know, who who was tongue-in-cheek about that when you when you literally are uh are doing that? And then the other thing you mentioned was like military industrial complex in these in these memoirs here, he was military intelligence during uh, World War II. Okay, and so that was how he made some of these connections across, um, you know, with with um, uh, the Soviet bloc and stuff like that. So, you know, not only is he industry and at these round tables, but he literally has connections to uh, uh, military intelligence. And then his um, Percy Rockefeller. I don't know. I mean, it's it's his nephew, or it's John D. Rockefeller Jr.'s nephew. But Percy Rockefeller is skull and bones. All right, and so then they're directly connected to the, the, the occult secret society. So, so the Rockefeller family is connected to all of that right there. Okay, and I guess I should add here that in the rest of this chapter, Rockefeller explains how he set up the Bilderberg Group with Prince Bernhard of the Netherlands. And the Bilderberg Group is the most influential, the most powerful of the roundtable groups. Specifically because the other roundtables, the CFR, the RIIA, uh, those groups are largely representing Western Europe and the United States, so the Anglo-American establishment. Now, the Bilderberg Group does still tend to have a high concentration of attendees from Western Europe and North America, but then they also have attendees basically from the entire world. So that includes members from China, Iran, Iraq, Israel, Turkey, Palestine, and then they also include attendees from the royal families of Europe, including the royal families of the Netherlands, Spain, and England. And then in recent conferences, they even had attendees from the Vatican. And then if you want to learn more about the Bilderberg Group, you can read a trying day book authored by Daniel Eschel entitled The True Story of the Bilderberg Group. Uh, it's got a bunch of uh, facsimiles, photocopies of leaked documents that he got, including membership lists that were leaked by uh, workers at the hotels where Bilderberg conferences were held. And then he also crashed some of the Bilderberg events sitting outside the hotels uh, and getting photos of the attendees as they uh, entered the conference. And these, those photos are in the book as well. Uh, I might just make a little note here. You got Jeffrey Epstein, who's trilateral and counsel on foreign relations. And then that's where, uh, you know, he's also got connections to um, uh, Whitney Webb writes about his, his intelligence connections. Um, I want to say Mossad, Israeli intelligence, and also uh, U.S. intelligence. I think it was uh, Alexander Acosta who was supposed to basically uh, uh, charge him with something and basically said, this guy's intelligence. We're not allowed to mess with this guy. So, uh, and then and then that eventually we'll talk about, you know, human trafficking as, as part of that apparatus. Um, but um, yeah, we can go to, we can go to school and 
Skull and Bones. That that could be a nice segue. I, I was going to mention something a little bit about Club of Rome, but that'll come back up when we talk about eugenics and Malthusianism. So you want to go to Skull and Bones? Yeah, because that's and that's more like in the occult area. Is that right? Yeah, but it has connections to intelligence and stuff. Yeah, so yeah. We'll, it has connections to all sorts of stuff. We'll, we'll make our way back. So um, so if we go back to the uh, to the top of the occult and secret societies node. Um, You'll see I have on the uh, on the left side here fraternal and chivalric orders, and then also occult and esoteric societies. So I just explain the difference between these a little bit before I go to skull and bones. Yeah. Um, and that is, um, so I made a little distinction here because the fraternal and chivalric orders, if we open them up. Um, you have stuff like uh, Knights Hospitaller, Knights of Columbus, um, uh, even the Jesuits, uh, you know, the Society of Jesus, uh, Knights Templar, and um, these have connections to uh, Freemasonry, um, but they're not necessarily considered like occult or esoteric, right? Like they were basically like the Knights Hospitaller and the Knights Templar were basically uh, groups that were during the um, during the uh, crusades that were there to um, basically take pilgrims into the Holy Land and protect them. And then they had all their roles in terms of, uh, you know, fighting that, that crusade. Um, now, Freemasonry, as it traces its roots back to these, uh, these ancient um, orders of these different knights, that's where you would see it actually become something of more... Uh, occult and esoteric societies, meaning like they have like a esoteric rituals or occult rituals associated with um, their their fraternal organization. But like, you know, something today, like so the Knights Hospitaller and Knights Templar don't actually exist in any shape or form anymore, although Freemasons say that that's that they are the descendants of them. Something like the Knights of Columbus, that's basically just a Catholic organization, right? It's just, it's, you know, you can go down and um, probably got Knights of Columbus in, in, in any uh, place that's got a diocese there, right? And uh, as far as I know, there's they don't do any kind of, uh, uh, you know, like occult or esoteric practices. Um, but if if we go down into this node on the occult and esoteric societies, you'll see I have at the like a little bridge here where it says ancient mystery schools before I get into these other uh, groups. And okay, so if I open up this Node on occult and esoteric societies. You'll see I have like a little bridge here that talks about it says uh, ancient mystery schools, um, and basically that's the thing that all of these other occult and uh, esoteric societies have in common that they trace their uh, their occult practices, their esoteric practices. You guess you call them magic or ritual practices back to ancient mystery schools that go all the way back to Sumeria, right, Babylon, uh, Egypt. That's where your Egyptology and all that stuff I talked last night. Think think about all uh, last night, <laughs> last week, all that type of stuff. All those different New Agey, uh, different forms of spiritual spirituality. They have they all intersect with these different um, occult and esoteric societies. So let's let's just open up. One second, Jake. Now is that also okay? Do you know that movie Eyes Wide Shut? Do it. I've never seen it though, but I know what. Go ahead. There's a situation where the the main character goes to a place where the really wealthy, connected people are, 
and they're wearing like weird masks and it looks very strange and there's an orgy taking place and they, you know, is, is that, is it, is Stanley Kubrick referring to this kind of ancient mystery school and, and bringing up that kind of like association where these people wearing cloaks and you can get killed really easy if you don't know the password and stuff like that. I don't want to, I don't want to wax on stuff that, because I've never seen it, but I'm going to say pretty sure that's exactly what he's talking about. Um, and you know, if you, if you, uh, one of my buddies trying to author, um, Jay Dyer, uh, he does, he does uh, analysis of the occult symbolism in films. I mean, he does it in a very historically accurate way. So if you ever wanted to maybe get a hold of him, he might be able to break that down better uh, better than I could. But um, definitely one thing I can say is that sex magic is part of a lot of these rituals. And I could go to something like, well, I know we said we are going to go Skull and Bone, but since you brought it up, I'm going to go to the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. Okay, and then underneath that we have Aleister Crowley, and he's connected to several other occult and secret societies. And so you have the Ordo Templi Orientis, otherwise known as the OTO. Um, he was, uh, and and he wrote about different sex magic rituals, and um, that has to do with this thing over here called spirit cooking. But he did this, he had this um, ritual called the Cake of Light, and I don't want to be really gross about it, but. You make a cake out of different fluids from those types of activities, right? And and you eat it, and you're supposed to, I guess, have some kind of spiritual powers. Okay, and he, you know, he wrote this stuff. Like it's not a it's not a theory. Like he wrote it, and and um, um he also was. It's it's a, there's a drunk history episode where they talk about this with um, Duncan Trussell, who's uh, Joe Rogan's buddy, he goes on there and. Um, he, I didn't, I don't have him up here. I, I should, but, um, you know, I, it, it, I just had to stop at some point, but Alistair Crowley was also buddies with, um, the guy from the jet propulsion laboratory. His name is Jack Parsons, Jack Parsons. And they literally were having, uh, sex orgies, uh, like ritual magic, sex magic orgies in conjunction with some of the early uh, launch experiments at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. And that was somehow supposed to align with right, what was going on astrologically. And they would do these sex rituals. And um, um, you know, I, I don't know more about it than that, but but I, I've heard, I, I know that. And I remember actually even seeing it on like regular TV with Duncan Trussell on the, on the Drunk History episode. So uh, so sex magic is part of these uh, uh, occult or esoteric uh, rituals. That's that's just one one example. Uh, and since I'm here, I'll just note that right. Uh, you know, he basically called himself the beast. Right. He was he called himself the most evil man. He basically gives rights to modern the modern day satanic church uh, through uh, basically a Anton LaVey sort of picks up on his stuff. Uh, and then there's connections to also. Um, Michael Aquino um, and the Temple of Set, and that's just that's another branch of these like Luciferian, uh, satanic uh, 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 organizations. So. And you also had Bohemian Grove as one of the nodes to this, and I know I've heard people say some weird stuff goes on there. Yeah, um, actually, that's an interesting one. Um, how do I get there? Um, if I go back up. Uh, 
to the mystery schools that I can get here. I don't think I have a lot in here, uh, except that members of Skull and Bones uh, have popped up there. Um, actually, I've got a there's a, here's an interesting book on it right here. This is by John Ronson. It's called Bay. Okay, and uh, John Ronson is he also made the mil, the movie uh, The Men Who Stare at Goats, uh, which is about. Uh, it's, it's, it was a real military project. Uh, General Stubblebine, when my friends interviewed General Stubblebine before, uh, and um, they were like trying to make uh, S, um, ESP soldiers, like psychic soldiers. Um, that's that's a side point. But in in this in this book, he uh, John John Ronson does. Um, um, it's like Gonzo journalism, you know. So like you know, like journalism, you're supposed to like remove yourself from what you're reporting in this. He's a character in it. And, you know, and he follows Alex Jones in there. This was right after, was right after, right before 9-11. And it just says 2001. So I don't know what month it was, but it's 2001. So it was that year. It might've been right before, right after it. And um, there's, you can watch, uh, well, I don't know if you can find it anymore because it got wiped off the internet, but, um, they broke in there, and the way they broke in was walked in, which is weird, okay? But they walked in there, pretended like they belonged there, they dressed up, and they filmed these people having a ritual. Um, it's called the cremation of care. There's a stone owl, and they burn an effigy of a human being who's supposed to represent their cares. And um, the owl is called Moloch, and Moloch is one of the Canaanite or... Um, I want to say Canaanite gods, but it's one when the Israelites come into the land of Canaan after they come out of Egypt. There's other tribes; it might be one of the other ones, but it's it's some of these other gods uh, from one of these other tribes, and they would they would uh, sacrifice children to it, and they would there is that's why what they would say do not uh, there's in the book of Leviticus it would say something like do not immolate your children to idols. Immolate meaning like that go that's a that's a uh, play on Moloch. You would burn you would burn children to Moloch. Um, so they would say that it's, you know, that it's, uh, it's not a real person. It's like a, you know, a dummy or a straw person. Um, but they burn this thing out there. And this is a, this is a super, again, it's another one of these elite clubs. I don't have a bunch of people uh, listed here. I, again, I ran out of time. I spent a long, and I spent a long time on it, but, uh, um, you know, there was, there was a, there was an interesting, somebody called out Bill Clinton. I want to say, uh, not too long after 9-11 and asked him, do you go to the Bohemian Club? He goes, he goes, I go to the Bohemian Club. He goes, no, I don't get naked and uh, ride around those redwoods like those rich Republicans do. Um, then there's Richard Nixon saying something like uh, it was uh, it was basically uh, one of the, the um, he basically said it was in a not so nice way. It was one of the gayest places he'd ever been. Um, and um, so that's, you know, and the bushes, the bushes have been there. Um, but but it, it's it's said that again they they don't just go there and hang out and get hookers and things but they go there and uh, you know they have business meetings basically they have off the record meetings um, and if I my if my memory was better I could name some of the uh, deals that were purportedly brokered but I but I can't at this time so that would be another example yeah of uh, an occult society that has uh, basically very uh, almost satanic type of rituals basically i'll just note one more thing was that they said even you know the, the people that were there uh even they said something like you know even if it was a, an effigy like the, the 
what was weird to them, like John Ronson and Alex said that uh, the people were very, very emotionally involved in the ritual. Like, and you can hear they had a little camera that you can, if you can find, you can probably find it somewhere online, maybe on BitChute or one of these other platforms. But you can see them, you can see the big owl, and you can you can hear them all, you know, howling basically when they when they burn the the effigy. It's. I just wanted to say that I, you know, this is beginning to sound to me a bit, I don't know, <laughs> but you know, there's the film that I watched years ago for the first time called The Purge and the Republicans were doing something where they were sacrificing one of the Democrats. I don't know one of the people. And I always thought that was sort of very, very extreme fiction of what our country or our countries in at the very top of the hierarchy of, you know, government could do. I thought that was just very, just fictionous, um, fictitious, excuse me. Um, but what you're describing is sounding very much like a film. <laughs> I'm not sure. Oh. oh yeah, no, I mean, maybe we can, what I'll try to do is find some of these clips so you can splice them in, so you can like actually see some of this stuff. But that's why I know Andy hates it when I pull my books off the shelf and then, and then put them on the camera. But you know, I'm in the I'm in the realm of like you said, like it sounds extremely crazy. So I just want to show you, like you know, I have books on this stuff, like from pr basically primary sources, right? Like guy, like the guy was in there, and they got a film film of while they were there. Uh, I, well, what you mentioned was another. I just want to touch on this. So you mentioned uh, Eyes Wide Shut. That's Stanley Kubrick. Stanley Kubrick's first movie was Bolita, right? And that's the Nabokov book, which is basically about, you know, a pederast. Yeah. And then if you've ever watched The Shining, right, y'all, and if you've ever seen that, there's a lot of very subtle stuff in there. But if you might remember when at some point when all the, when the ghosts are starting to pop out, he goes in one of these rooms and there's, there's uh, he opens the door and these people have like furry masks on and they're engaged in fellatio. And remember, these are like rich elite people here. Uh, and, you know, and at some point somebody got murdered there, which is why the ghosts are there. So what do you have there? You have basically rich elites in sex rituals, killing people. And basically like all those elements are there in both of these movies. And this is like a theme that's in a lot of his movies. And when we talk about uh, Freemasonry, he also made the movie, uh, Space Odyssey 2001, which is basically like a transhumanist movie, you know, way before its time, and I'll, and I'll break down the Masonic symbols in there. So I don't, you know, I don't want to, I don't know what Kubrick's background is. I've heard people speculate, but I've never bothered to verify any of it. But I can tell you that the themes in his films, which are pretty consistent throughout uh, across the wide spectrum of films, that you can you can you can trace those to like historical. Uh, you know, some of some of these things like the Grove and uh, you know, uh, some of these other rituals that's associated with you know, sex magic and, and stuff like that. I suppose what what does sex magic, if if you can just indulge me for a bit, what what is sex magic's intention or purpose, or how does it? I I'm, I'm guessing that, you know to. Uh, I, mean, I don't know, but I'm guessing to 
some kind of uh, power or to either. The Gnostics, uh, we talked a little bit about Gnostic, Gnosticism last time. The Gnostics believe that this world is a prison and, and that your, your normal consciousness, your normal everyday life, like, is like a prison, like, into, like, like you want to uh, achieve a higher state of consciousness. And the way you could do that could be through, like, asceticism or, like, meditation or, like, psychedelics. But one of the, the other practices they had was, like, sex orgies. And, like, you could reach some kind of ecstatic state. And then, I don't know, you could download some kind of secret knowledge or, you know, you just you get to commune with with the uh, the infinite or something like that. But it's to get some kind of either power or um, pleasure or some kind of a, a secret or, or uh, higher consciousness or something to that effect. If not, you know, some some something even darker, you know, you know, connecting to some some dark forces. That, but I don't know. Right. Now, when we talk about some of this human sacrifice stuff, by the way, uh, oh. you know, or I was going to say, there's, I don't want to jump, well, we'll get there, but uh, when you start talking about human trafficking, there's something that's, there's a, it's called satanic ritual abuse. And if you remember in the 80s, they talked about this thing, satanic panic. And uh, again, I don't want to get too far down there, but, you know, there was things like uh, the Franklin scandal and, uh uh, the story of Johnny Dosh. And, you know, this is like when, when the kids kept, you know, was missing and they were on the milk cartons, if you remember that back in the day. Um, and the, the theories was that, you know, these, these kids weren't just being kidnapped and then abused, but they would be involved in these uh, satanic rituals. Um, and then that could tie into to other stuff like what's called tra trauma-based mind control. So you traumatize a person and then uh, through these through these rituals, and then you could basically program them to to recruit other kids, and you could use those kids to be like uh, uh, you could you could use ha handlers for the elite, and then you could blackmail the elite, like someone like Dennis Haster, who was in the you know was the Speaker of the House, um, and so so that's I know that's a whole that's a whole other can of worms that we but it's 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 in here when we get when we get to. Do you want me to go there now, or should I should I just pause and? What I do want to say is. What's interesting is that I remember when I was in the UK, there was talk about sometimes I would sit around these fires with, I was working in a music festival because over the summer there are many music festivals and they, there was talk about um, some of the people I worked with who live or who are British, they, they would say that there are um, politicians who are in these boarding schools. They all come from these boarding schools and they do these rituals and they do all this sort of, but I thought they were more like fraternities, more of sort of frat, um, um, uh, frat, what do you call them? Rituals, not rituals, that frat, whatever rite of passage sort of things, but more like what we hear about here in the USA um, happen. But, they 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 talked about it in a way that these politicians would engage in certain things that would not come out to the public because if it did it would they, they, this is what they have on each other and this is why they're so tied to each other i always thought that was far-fetched or a bit of conspiratorial that to think but as we're speaking i mean Anything is possible now with aliens having come out and, or not aliens, but rather UFOs or unseen objects or even Jeffrey Epstein ties to Billy Gates and now even Fauci saying stuff about the theory 
being possibility of the lab theory. Um, so I guess I'm more open to anything these days. <laughs> but the thing is, I don't know if you know any about that, um, about um, these politicians having had done rituals or, or engaged in certain acts that would hold themselves. Sorry if we're going on a tangent, but I just was reminded of this because now I, I'm beginning to think I maybe dismissed some of those friends of mine around those fires to just sort of <laughs> thought they were well, let me, yeah, let's, let's open tracks. that note because I, I, there's a couple things in my mind like that. You know, part of the reason why I made this is because a lot, like I said, a lot of this is I've been focused 100% on education for the longest time. Like a lot of this stuff is stuff that I, uh, you know, haven't thought, haven't thought a lot about in a while. I mean, because most of these politicians come from these boarding schools, high elite boarding schools in the UK. And you know, one thing while I'm looking for this section is that have you ever have you ever seen the movie uh, um, Training Day? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they've seen the train. So in Training Day, you got this corrupt cop, and he's trying to. Uh, they got this, and they got this rookie, and this rookie's coming in, and um, they they basically are trying to figure out if is he going to play ball? Like, is is he going to? Like, is he going to be a problem for us and rat on all of our corruption? And so, like, before they, you know, uh, they, they kind of, like, they feel him out. So, like, one of the first things he does is he's driving and he starts smoking some pot in the car. And he tries to pass it to him. Like, hey, you want some of this? And the guy's like, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. You know, that's like, that's the first part. It's like, oh, okay, so this guy's not going to smoke this pot. Well, he's probably not going to like when we rob these people later, which is what they do, right? And so, I mean, it's, it's you know, it's a fictional example. Um, but, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's I, I like that example because it's, it, it removes it from like this grandiose, like, you know, sex trafficking, but it's like, you know, this is, this is, people do this in their, you know, at, at jobs where, you know, if people are clicky like that and they, and they've got some kind of under, under the table deals, like, you know, there's, there's ways and uh, you want to make sure that, right. Uh, that, that, that those people are going to basically be, if, if, if they rat on you, you can rat on them. Right. Mm-hmm. And so if at any point, for some reason they have a, um, they have a crisis of conscience. They have a change of heart. They, you know, see the error of their ways. They're stuck, right? Um, so I got. So I pulled up my human trafficking uh, example here. So on the left here, I've got um, satanic ritual abuse, and I, and that's connected to trauma-based mind control. And we can jump back in there. That'll get us back to the intelligence agencies, by the way. But. Let's just look at uh, talk about some of these other nodes here, which uh, include. I just gave you the example of Dennis Haster, who was Speaker of the House. Now, uh, you know, I don't know that he was involved in actual uh, trafficking of children, but man, uh, you know, he was uh, he was abusing children for a long time. And um, I say uh, Wayne Madsen, you know, told stories basically to the effect that like. Everybody knew that this is what this guy was doing, basically, right? And um, but but other examples where you actually have, and I got I, um, uh, would be the Franklin cover-up, okay? And that's uh, this is a I got the book here, Franklin cover-up. This is written by John DeCamp, and John DeCamp was well, he was a state senator, but he investigated 
there was an issue with this guy. His name was Lawrence King, not Larry King, the the uh, the media guy. But this was a Republican senator uh, in Nebraska. And the Franklin Credit Union was a place where they basically were laundering some of this money. And look, you'll see that the title here says uh, child abuse, Satanism, and uh, murder in Nebraska. And um, this was going to come out in a documentary called Conspiracy of Silence in the 90s. It was supposed to play on uh, the Discovery Channel, and it never aired. And people eventually somehow, somebody got a, a copy of the tape and it was leaked onto the internet when, uh, in, you know, 2000 around then. And you might be able to still find a copy of it, but it, it trails John DeCamp and he, he goes through his investigation. I don't remember a whole lot about it uh, as far as particulars. I just know that there was a, one of the children that was a victim. His name was Paul Benassi. Um, and that long story short was they had a few of these kids to actually witness what had happened was this is how it had happened. Um, there was some, some funny business going on with the credit union. So there was this investigation going on with the credit union and then stories kept popping up where kids were saying crazy stuff about like these satanic sex abuse rituals. And then John DeCamp somehow pieced it together. He got some of these kids to actually witness and testify um, and some of them, I think, I don't know if they got them to recant their testimony and then they ended up in, in jail or uh, in trouble, but um, I don't think anybody actually got in any serious trouble for that. Um, but that's, that's, that's like a, a well-documented example. And there's also another book by uh, Nick Bryant, that's a trying day book called The Franklin Scandal where uh, it's, it's just his investigator reporting on the same topic. So uh, Nick, Nick Bryant's an award-winning BBC journalist. I want to say BBC. Um, so those, the, so that's one example. Um, obviously, we have, you know, Jeffrey Epstein here. Um, and you probably don't need to talk too much about him. I think y'all are pretty familiar with him, and I think we touched on him. Do y'all know who uh, Jimmy Saville or Savile is? Sometimes people say, I say Savile. I don't know. I really don't know how to pronounce that. He was in Britain. Yeah, he was. He was Britain. He was. Um, he was like a DJ, disc jockey for some um, some TV shows and, and or radio. And he uh, was was buddy buddy with the royal family. And this guy uh, not only did he abuse kids, he was into like necrophilia and stuff like that. And that's on record. Um, and so there's a there's a there's your British example. Um. And then another example here is the Sankt Gallen Mafia or Saint Saint Gallen Mafia, and this is an area I don't know necessarily. Well, no, I do because um, this has ties to the Vatican, in particular Cardinal Theodore McCarrick. Theodore McCarrick is one of the main people that basically uh, one of the one of the main culprits who. Um, Okay, I'm not gonna say expose like he exposed it, but but he's the one that basically got caught, uh, got got exposed by a guy named I want to say I want to say Frank Grimes, but I feel like that's a Simpsons guy. His last name is Grimes. Okay, and um, uh, he blew the whistle on what was going on. He was abused by McCarrick for a long time, and he basically said that this is Saint Gallen is in. Uh, I always get them mixed up, Switzerland or Sweden. I want to say Switzerland. Most likely, it's Switzerland. Um, and um, and that's that's basically there was other there was other um, clergy there that basically engaged in this. And the fact that they that they 
uh, Carrie, that that guy uh, who was, you know, was a young boy at the time would follow McCarrick around there. I mean, that's, you're basically trafficking, right? Like you can't, you're not even allowed to take a minor across borders. Like if you do that and it's not, and they're not, uh, they're not your kid or your, your nephew or somebody you're, you know, related to, that's, that's basically trafficking, but definitely there was um, sex abuse going on uh, there. So, so I gave you, right. Uh, a, a, a British Royal family. I gave you, you know, uh, Congress people, I gave you military agencies, and I gave you uh, religious organizations, right, all involved in different forms of um, basically human trafficking or, or sex trafficking. Now, I also had, oh, here he is. So if I go to Theodore McCarrick, he's been uh, at World Economic Forum meetings, all right? And so that gets back, it gets us right back to our world, our world government uh, uh, organization. What I guess I would ask is, yes, I believe this stuff, kind of stuff goes on. I believe this kind of stuff goes on at elite levels. What does it matter for you that this is happening? Because these folks are up to all sorts of mischief. They might be injecting vaccines into humans. They might, they're doing wars and killing millions of people. So why, why is it important to talk about their connections to these uh, you know, uh, sexual abuse of children, human trafficking? What, what is important about that particular kind of criminality um, that, it, that it might be highlighted? Because in my mind, these people are criminals at so many different levels, it's hard to keep, tra keep track. So why for you is that so important? I mean, not for you, but for the, this notion of a new world order. So before, you know, before um, John Kleisic answers that, Andy, I think, can I just answer why I think this is beginning to do something to my mind about why this is important. Okay. We did Jeffrey Epstein episode some time ago. And at that time, it's cringy looking back and how much I fought against looking into it as some form of conspiracy, whether he was engaged in some things of what John Kleisick is mentioning now. I, I think for me, whether I'm whether I accept the new world order framework or not, I'm, it's not right now what I'm going to what I'm going to say. It's more for me is the level of secrecy that our government uh, engages in is is for me that even though I had the notion that we are being hidden from information that is to the public. There are lots of this. This this is gives me a sense of a of of it gives me more distrust to our government and maybe a bit of confidence when I feel maybe I'm going down a rabbit hole and the majority of our circles or friendships or community aren't probably believing in this. And I do think that we should question anything and everything. And, and, and that's all I guess that's for me, it does that. It, it's being able to open my mind a bit or being open to as Carl Sagan's wife was about 9-11, right? Um, to be able to, to just look at things because that's what we're supposed to be doing. It's 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 to be considering all the possibilities that 
there are for us to to look into, especially when we are being ruled by the very top, the people who are controlling all of this, our economy, our institutions, the infrastructure, how, how these things are set up in our world. It has to do, it affects us because we live in the society. And I'm just beginning to feel more opened after this, this I call it COVID journey, to, to the secrecy that our governments do keep from us and makes me available to look into it further. It sounds very simplistic, maybe just sort of, oh, okay, we should have known that, but I don't know. It does something to me developmentally inside my brain that it allows me to be more open-minded about it. Yeah, I mean, anytime, you know, I mean, like, you know, this is many years of being, you know, all these nodes that are like that, you know, it was like, first it's like, what's that? How's that? This sounds like a, then one day it's like, oh, that guy's connected to that. And then you, then it starts to, when you start to see a pattern, right? I mean, it, it makes you want to think about it, right? So uh, why, Andy says, why is this important in terms of this whole framework? Well, I mean, you know, like you said, you know, they do all kinds of horrific evil stuff, right? And so, uh I guess another way to ask the question is like, how is this part of the mechanism of what they're doing? I think go ahead and jump over to the satanic ritual abuse and um, look at the trauma-based mind control. And that'll give me a, a segue to talk about a couple of different things. So the first one is obviously uh, the black male component, right? So and this, this, this uh, gives, helps me answer uh, Kenny's question earlier about like what kind of centralized control is well you know everybody's not exactly like controlled by some kind of central central agency but uh if you know that somebody is in an important position of power whether it be a ceo or whether it be you know uh, in media or whether it be you know a governor or a speaker of the house um, if you got dirt on them, you can get them to do what you want, right? And then the other thing that they do is when when they're uh, like at with Jeffrey Epstein was filming people rampantly, right? He had everybody from uh, presidents of the United States. He had Prince Andrew royal family. He had uh, connections to uh, Saudi royals, and he had connections to um, uh, Israeli uh, officials, right? So he's got he's got connections to all these really important people, and he's filming. So you can blackmail them, and, you, and, if they, and if they're not really on board with, uh, you know, whatever is the, the uh, epicenter of these criminals, um, you can make them be. And then the other thing you can do with that is you can use that stuff. Uh, you can you could blackmail other people with that stuff that weren't involved, meaning like you could, you know, with the Vault 7, uh, you could, you know, basically put it on their computer and say that they were doing it or say that they downloaded it. Right. I mean, so it has several, it has, you know, if you're somebody that's like a whistleblower or something, you're like, oh, you know, so, so there's, it has, uh, it, it gives them leverage at the political level to, um, you know, so that, so that, right, they don't have to necessarily be, uh, have somebody that that's totally on board all the time, right? They can basically coerce um, is one of the main issues. But then there's also, uh, another element here of uh, the uh, the trauma-based mind control, um, and we could this gets us into you know uh, you know we could look at some of the CIA connections here, but right they were looking at ways to basically not just make men tree candidates and stuff like that, but 
you know, when they abuse these kids, you can basically get them to basically, this is, this is what uh, Gisling would do with these girls after they aged out at a certain age, they, she would get them to then recruit other kids and to sort of like get more fodder for this blackmail operation. And the other thing I imagine, well, and this what this Eduardo kind of touched on this because you and you said it in training days. You could also see this as sort of a a hazing system for for generating elite consciousness and a culture, an elite culture that would basically be brutal, um, that would be, um, you know, anti-human. <laughs> um, and would, if you knew that this is the kind of things that you were going to have to do in power, like they, the idea that power corrupts, it's not just the fact that power corrupts. You often need to create a system that helps um, uh, grease the wheels for that sort of corruption, not just in terms of criminality of money, but the willingness and even the, the appetite for doing some really awful things. Because we've seen that in the political system where people go from the board of education to the board of supervisors to mayor. We watch in the political system as people become changed. They might have been activists. We see them be um, hazed by that system. And that's, that's a behind-the-scenes system, but it's a fairly open system. This is What you're describing is a very much behind-the-scenes system, how to make an elite class, if you will, that's prepared to do what it needs to do to, um, to do the world. And if you're not prepared to do this, then we'll certainly make sure you don't say anything about it if we try to get you some way through it. And I've even heard that people say that Bill Gates's current difficulties are kind of a reminder uh, to him of don't get it twisted. You don't run this show, you know, um, because one would imagine you would describe Bill Gates as part of this kind of uh, coterie. Oh, well, yeah, I mean, he was definitely, he was, Whitney's written, uh, uh, recently written an article about lots of connections to Epstein, right? Um, and, you know, it's right. It's not just to breed or to uh, inculcate a culture of, like, cruelty and domination of, you know, other people. But, you know, he's talking about stuff like the cake of light that I mentioned earlier. It's also about, like, getting rid of any normal sense of morality or ethics to where like not only would you not it's not enough to like can you dominate other people but could you like could you do really gross stuff like do you, do you have like to them that's that is the true morality that's like you know it's, it's about willpower it's not about any kind of an ethical consideration of either other people or like you know just your own sensibilities of like what is you know gross and, and not right and so uh, you know, right, you, you need that to, to um, not just, you know, uh, start wars and bankrupt people, but to like literally right now, uh, you know, just scramble, you know, just do, do wild experiments with, with human biology. Right? right. And just to put up, because people, soldiers in war, when they went to Vietnam and they had to do all sorts of awful things, and this happened soldiers in Afghanistan, it messes them up. And what you're describing is there's an intentional. So that that is a system where it's like, okay, we're going to have you go out there and do some awful things in our name, in the name of the United States, in the name of the capitalist class, or in the name of these clowns who are part of these sort of systems you're describing. Um, so they recognize that they have to like get people to recover or like they'll offer a sop to help 
these soldiers recover from the damage that is done from some of the awful things they have to do when behind the scenes, these, these rulers are literally being trained to be awful and it's not, you're not supposed to recover from it. It's, it's like, this is the training. Yeah. And you know, in these, in these elite families like this, like it's not aside from like the elite club where it's like, you know, we got to make sure that because, you know, at some point they might just be really disturbed and grossed out and be like, I'm done with this. So you got to make sure they're blackmailed, but you're just talking about within one of these families, like the, like the trustees and, and the trust funds. You have, it's not like, oh, you're my kid, and so you know, you're I love you no matter what, and you're you know, you're my my offspring. You're a no, no, no. They'll give that tr- the trust. Uh, the, they'll give the trusteeship to a stranger who's going to carry on their agenda before they give it to a kid that, that doesn't want to be part be part of that. Like, yeah, it's 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 all in or or, or nothing. I I do have a comment. Um, so. Obviously, these rituals have a uh, an indoctrination, you know, um, part of all this, right? For the people that belong in these groups, but uh, these these rituals sound so fantastical, right? Like they're so extreme that it's it's so hard for an average person to believe these things are happening. And, and those people who uh, maybe are more inquisitive and actually run with their, you know, conspiracies, because you have to be conspirational to think about this stuff and dive into this, you know, these people as dismiss as crazy, right? Because this, this, this acts of, you know, savagery that they have to engage in to be part of these elite groups, you know, are just outside the realm of a normal average person. Um, I don't know if you have any comments about that, um, Jake. Yeah, I, I mean, you're just 100, 100% right. I mean, like, who has, you know, this is what people think, like, I would never do that. So nobody could ever want to do that. And I don't know, I don't know anybody that's even close to that crazy or close to that disgusting, right? So it's like the only place I've ever heard of that is on that Stanley Kubrick movie, right? But again, you know, um, so yeah, I mean, so so yeah, that's that's totally understandable. Um, but you know, th- these aren't these people live. This is why it's a secret society. I used to think about like, why do they call it a secret society? Like, why do they call it a secret club? Like, oh, because the secret, like, you know, I'm like, this is you know, they go at these little their little places, their little lodges, and they hang out, and they, you know, they. But it doesn't end there. Like, they get to walk indoors that me and you don't get to walk into. And these people, they they live in circles. Uh, you know, they they don't just have little clubs where they hang out. Like, like, you know, it's, it's a, it's a different world, man. And it's a different ethic, you know, and, um, you know, you, you'll, you can't really understand it based on your, your common experience. Um, by the way, I think I heard a rumor that Stanley, somebody said Stanley Kubrick was actually killed because somebody thought he got a little too comfortable with getting this stuff out, not just in code, but in literal form. I I remember hearing that. I heard that he's rubbing elbows or was around people that you know probably were you know at least talking about some of that stuff right so and maybe this is for me like a segue to you know the black ops uh mechanism right of enforcement of this uh order um because like you know we talk about jeff epstein jeffrey epstein we've talked about the cia and the role they've had in his you know uh you know the, the the links that they they have um 
do you think this is maybe a good segue to that? Um, yeah, I mean, we're kind of, we're kind of uh, there too, actually, because, um, okay. So yeah. So with, uh, with intelligence and black ops, um, four blocks here, I've got drug trafficking, false flags, human trafficking, and then specific intelligence agency that would be involved in these, uh, in these different, these other three uh, activities. Okay. So let's look at some of these intelligence agencies. So I've got various national intelligence agencies, Russian intelligence, U.S. intelligence, British intelligence, Israeli intelligence, and then and then international intelligence. And then, of course, there's other intelligence agencies I could have added here, but this gives you a decent overview of how the various national intelligence agencies actually work together through something called the Five Eyes and then Project Echelon, and there's there's others as well. So let's just look at some of the national intelligence agencies. So for British intelligence, you have Defense Intelligence, Secret Intelligence Service, that's MI6, Government Communications Headquarters, that's GCHQ, and then Secret Service, MI5. Let's go back and take a look at U.S. intelligence. So under U.S. intelligence, I have Defense Intelligence Agency, Federal Bureau of Investigation, Joint Intelligence Objectives Agency, JILA, Military Intelligence Corps, U.S. Army, National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, NGA, National Security Agency, NSA, National Security Council, NSC, Office of Naval Intelligence, ONI, Office of Strategic Services, OSS, that is the precursor to the Central Intelligence Agency, or CIA, and then there's U.S. Army Counterintelligence Corps, CIC. Israeli Intelligence, you've got three main branches here, Amman, Mossad, and Shin Bet. And then the last one, Russian intelligence, I just have KGB under that, although there's, I'm sure there's more. All right, now, if we take a look at international intelligence, I've got two programs here, Echelon and the Five Eyes, which integrate or collaborate the intelligence networks of some of the various agencies I just showed you. The Five Eyes is a collaboration between the intelligence agencies of the United States, the United Kingdom, Canada, Australia, and New Zealand, and it has its roots going back into intelligence partnerships between the U.S. and the U.K. during World War II. So again, stemming out of the Anglo-American establishment. And then later, the Five Eyes would set up something called Project Echelon, which, which expands those international intelligence networks by incorporating commercial surveillance through telecommunications companies. So surveilling and spying on private communications through telecommunications companies. Okay, so this is just a small sample of the various national and international intelligence networks that facilitate some of the black ops that we're going to look at. Both the drug trafficking and the human trafficking actually kind of have, I don't want to say a false flag component, or a better way to say this is that all three of those have basically uh, have the component of manipulating the Hegelian dialectic. Um, and you can, you can, uh, in, in, in ways that, you know, all the, you know, throughout history, but but you can you can see how it can relate to you know, anticipating the cycles that we talked about earlier as well. So what do I mean by that is that um, for the human trafficking, we already kind of talked about it, right? I mean, like you have the actual uh, the, the black market of you know human trafficking, but then you have also the blackmail operation, right? And so um, you can you can use that to also manipulate other outcomes.
right? It has another purpose other than just, you know, engaging in this disgusting criminal act. Uh, same thing with drug trafficking. Drug trafficking, right? That's very profitable, right? It can create a slush fund where you can have basically black money that you can pump into other uh, um, you know, false flag operations or, or funnel it back into human trafficking or use it to blackmail or rather bribe politicians or bribe other important people. But then if you think about the drug, the drug war and a perfect example is, uh, you know, the story of Gary Webb and the Iran Contra affair, right? That's, that is, you know, is really what has, one of the first things that got our national security state, our police state started. Um, so I should also mention that, right, under this, this black ops intelligence um, block, you can also think of this as a mechanism to create the national security state apparatus which fits into the world government in the world economy, right? It's, it's, it's certainly part of the world government because, right, it, be, it becomes law, right? So uh, you, you get a bunch of, like, in the case of Iran-Contra, um, you know, you, you bring the cocaine over here, uh, you put it into inner city neighborhoods, it creates a bunch of violence, that creates, that's the problem, uh, or the problems of drugs, reactions of violence, solution is cops. Right? Or a thesis and is the um, you know the cocaine uh, antithesis is the violence and the synthesis is right of basically SWAT teams and, and a, a police state and then from there later on we can we can jump in and look at some of these false flags we get into the false flags and you have other uh, crises that facilitate more nationalist you know anti-terrorism bills and things like that and that just builds on. Um, the the uh, the earlier police state structure. So again, you can it, there's two layers to both of those, right? Um, they can be used for their own purposes and creating slush funds and black money that you can use uh, to to uh, bribe and manipulate. But then also you can create other crises that you can that you can therefore um, uh, use to push other agendas, right? Give give reasons to push other. Um, other other uh, coercive uh, regulations and things like that. I mean, I guess I I would just say that obviously false flags have an internal role, uh, say like nine eleven, um, or even the way we've talked about the pandemic um, in terms of getting it started and you know how where it was started, whether it's China or a U.S. lab or what have you. Um, but also there's like Gulf of Tonkin. There's all sorts of international mischief that the U.S. I know mostly what the U.S. has done, where it's basically created a provocation that it's allowed it to go and and invade some other country. 9/11 fits both those bills: an internal control and then an international control of resources and and going on for things like that. Right, and that's why I kind of at first I wanted to kind of synthesize the the other two blocks with it, and I'm like, nah, it's not a one-to-one ratio, but like you could think of you could think of Iran Contra as a false flag, right? Because right, you're shipping in the drugs and then saying that there's a problem. You created the problem. You know what I mean? So that's you know, in a way, you could call it a false flag. Um, I so 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 I opened as you started naming some of that, I went ahead and just pulled it up, and uh, I, I've got a, quite a few here. Um, before I go into some examples of the false flag, and we can talk about it as we talk about, um, I got some theories or some. 
um, frameworks to which you can understand how a false flag works or, or, or other theories that are related to false flags. Um, so we talked about the Hegelian dialectic, right? We've talked about it many times, so we don't need to go into that. As on other shows, we've talked about it. I, I talked earlier about the order out of chaos. It's the same concept. Um, another term that's used sometimes is what they call a psyop or a psychological operation, right? So in other words, right, the, the real operation isn't carrying out whatever crisis is going to create the problem, reaction, solution scenario, but it's it's what's the psychological response going to be? And then how can you manipulate that psychological response to get this bill that you want, right? You need to get this, you want to change the government or the economy in a particular way. Like no one's going to go for that unless they're really scared of X, Y, or Z, right? So then you have to create that problem or that crisis. And then everybody goes, please save us. And then, then you beg for that solution that you never would have otherwise asked for. Uh, something else that's related to this would be something called controlled opposition or limited hangout, not unlimited. <laughs> uh, and so that's basically where um, where you have people that are trying to expose false flags and things like that, and then they will put in the mix of these uh, truth tellers or whatever you want to call them, somebody who is in there and gives you uh, a certain amount of really good information and then steers you the wrong way with either some uh you know just some false information or sometimes they're in there and they just they just uh, muddy the waters with just really outlandish stuff right so like there's this like, there's some there's some clear arguments to be made about like i mean so let's look over here on the example so there's a i'll take i'll start with 9 11 okay a, a really good example of why you should think that that's a little fishy is have you have you ever have y'all ever uh you know about uh, building seven yeah when it crumbled or yeah. the ladies on or the BBC lady is saying like, it's crumbled and it's sitting behind her. <laughs> you know? So I mean, I... now more on the latest building collapse in New York. You might've heard a few moments ago, was talking about the Salomon brothers building collapsing. And indeed it has. It seems that this was not a result of a new attack. It was because the uh, building had been weakened. Uh, during this morning's attacks. We'll probably find out more now about that from our correspondent, Jane Stanley. Jane, what more can you tell us about the Salomon Brothers building and its collapse? Well, only really what you already know. Details are very, very sketchy. As you can see behind me, the uh, Trade Center appears to be still burning. We see these huge clouds of smoke and ash, and we know that behind that there's an empty piece of what was a very familiar New York skyline, a symbol of the financial prosperity of this city, but uh, completely disappeared now, and New York is still unable to take on board what has happened to them today. Sounds like she jumped the gun, right? Or got a report. How did she get that report before it happened, right? I mean, that's, that's extremely fishy, right? Um, and then there's other scenarios, you know, there was Intel before. I mean, you can start to add things up, but then you have other crazier stuff. Like, you know, uh, people go as far as to say there was no plane, you know, it, it was, you know, like a, a CG or they'll say like, you know, it was drones or there was nobody on the plane. And, you know, I, that, that type of stuff makes the stuff that's clearly demonstrable. It makes everything sound crazy. Now, right. And um, so so that's basically what your control opposition or your or your limited hangout is. So what? So I'll so I'll just walk through a couple of these examples and um, 
So 7-7 was uh, uh, a, a terrorist attack in England on... Uh, I remember that. Yeah, right. It was right around... It was, it was there 9-11. It was there. And there was a Russian situation, too. Uh, and I don't remember what the name of that was, but there, a similar thing happened in Russia. Uh, and that's why they were basically... We were like buddies for a second where we were all fighting the war on terror. Right? We know the 9-11 thing. Uh, people would say that Benghazi, that they basically allowed... the. Um, that they stood down and let uh, let those people get in there so that they could get some of those weapons out and, and basically ship them off to other uh, other areas that resulted in other conflicts that gave us a reason to go and, and continue our uh, our tirade in the in the Middle East. Um, you know, we might get kicked off for if I if I say the word <laughs> right here, but this is the one that we're all under right now. Hey, give us another strike. Go for it. COVID. COVID is a false flag. <laughs> I mean, all I'm saying, I mean, honestly, and it, like looking at all these, maybe it's just because we're in the middle of it and it's been ongoing for a year, and we watched them contradict themselves for over a year. That that's the most obvious. I don't. On all of them to me. I mean, um, you know, and we don't have to go into those details because we talk about it every time we're on the show. Um, this hasn't happened yet, but the cyber polygon uh, scenario was uh, pushed by the World Economic Forum. And um, basically what they, and they called it a cyber pandemic. It's going to be worse than COVID. And, you know, basically, and, you, and now you're seeing, you're seeing uh, elements of that happening with, they had the, it was the colonial pipeline. Yeah. And, and then, and then uh, Biden just met with Putin and they were arguing, they were talking about like cybersecurity and cyber hacks and, and did Russia do the, do the hacks and things like that. So you can, so not only did the World Economic Forum say it, just like they said in event 201 before COVID started, uh, they're doing the same thing with this scenario, and you're seeing you're seeing the uh, those pieces sort of roll out. So you know, I, I I hate to say it, but you know, get ready for that one. Um, and um, you know, an ex example of that, or, or the way that I think it'll roll out is going to be similar to something called Operation Gladio. Uh, that was in Italy, and that happened. It was like a series of I want to say bombings and other like random terrorist attacks, uh, and um, if I open that one up, or just for a second, um, you'll see that there's tech connections to, and, and this is, I, I, there's scholarly journals that talk about this. You don't even have to go and uh, um, look at, you know, conspiracy sites. You go, if, you, if you can get to, uh, you, know, you might be able to, I, I don't know if you have the same access to the, the databases at the high school that I have at the college, but I, I used to do that just to see like, well, what do these journals say? They, Operation Gladio, and, and they'll tell you in there, they mention North uh, NATO, the CIA, the P2 Lodge, Propaganda Due, uh, which is a Masonic Lodge that's connected to the Vatican. Um, and then if I get back to my false flags, and we can look at stuff like uh, Gulf of Tonkin. That was the um, the, the uh, boating incident uh, uh, that got us into Vietnam. Okay, uh, the Lusitania. Was not to get us into World War One. I? I thought that was the USS Maine. Was it? Oh, no, 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 you're right. USS Maine was the Spanish American War. You're right. That's yeah. probably what it was. I, I don't remember a lot about it. It was it was accused of a German U-boat sinking, but it looked like it might very well have been a self sink. 
Okay, so did we didn't involve? No, it couldn't have, right? Okay, maybe, maybe I misspoke on that. I thought that that, that the Lusitania had something to do. Um, well, you're probably right. If I can't remember, I'm, I'm going with what you're saying there. I'll find this. Throw it in. Uh, USS Maine, though, was that was the Spanish American. Yeah. Um, Operation Ajax is where. Uh, but just Mosaic, USS Maine again. These are operations where, if you look at the at the media at the time, it's accusing the Spanish of doing something, and it turns out that we bombed our own shit there. Right, right, right. Good. Thank, thank you for explaining how how that worked. Right, and with Gulf of Tonkin, right, we blamed it on the, the Vietnamese, right, and so we could go over there, right. Uh, Operation Ajax was where we were. Um, we basically fomented a coup against uh, Mohammed Mosaddegh. And um, th this was admitted when Obama was in office, they apologized for it, all right? And I don't remember all the details, but I think they had, we had uh, you know, provocateurs out there saying stuff like Mosaddegh was a communist and Mosaddegh was, you know, uh, whatever else. And, uh, and, that, and that got people to, to, up, to rise up against him. And then uh, it, had, it largely had to do, it was beef over, um, uh, he was nationalizing. He was threatening to nationalize um, U.S. interests in Iran, and he was, he was democratically elected by the government that, under RussiaGate, said you can't you can't you can't get involved in people's elections. Well, they they took him out. Right, right, right. And then um, and then we have Operation Northwoods. Have y'all ever heard of that one? I don't know that one. It's often used as one. Of, it's so it didn't actually happen. If you Google. If you search it, because I'm not using that as a verb anymore, if you search it, there's, I, I'm pretty sure it used to, it might not anymore. It used to have its own Wikipedia page and it had the document in there, but it was a plot. It was one of these, uh, one of many plots, like when we were trying to go after, assassinate Castro a million times, it was one of these plots, and I don't remember the specifics, but it had to do with uh, faking uh bombing some stuff or bombing airplanes and then saying that the Cubans did it, something to that effect. Yeah. Um, but again, it was never carried out, but the document exists and, and it has been exposed. Um, you know, some people would suggest that uh, Pearl Harbor, that that was, uh, that uh, FDR let that happen so that we could have a reason to go to, to World War II. I don't, you know. Right. Basically saying that we, we had the intelligence to know this was happening and we put just enough stuff there to get, destroyed that wouldn't wipe out our fleet but but knowing that knowing that it was going to happen it allowed uh roosevelt to have the justification to enter world war ii yeah and here i should mention too that right a, a false flag doesn't doesn't necessarily have to mean that you uh, actually perform the act yourself you could just let it happen right and um um, I should mention that the, the term false flag, it, it's, it's, it was a naval tactic. It comes out of naval uh, strategy. So what you would do is if you wanted to like ambush uh, an enemy ship, you would fly a friendly flag. And so by the time you get close enough where you're jumping on their ship, they don't they think that you're a buddy uh, and, and they don't, you don't have time to prepare. And so that's that's where that term comes from. Um, uh, the Syrian gas attacks, that's pretty well documented. The Gray Zone has done a lot of good work on that. Mid uh, Press News did some good work on that back in the day. Uh, Jimmy Dore, you know, goes, mm -hmm. goes on and on about it all the time. Um, it's recent, I, right? It yeah. was in 2018. 
there's been a few, like there've been two different gas attacks that were blamed on Assad that it's very, there, there's evidence that's come out that actually they, they were done by the white helmets um, or staged by the white helmets, um, either done or staged by uh, the forces that we are saying that we're there to defend. And the gas, these gas attacks were used as a pretext for U.S. military attacks in Syria. Right, right. Um, and then um, and the last one I would say is, is, uh, is QAnon on January 6th. That's going to get us another flag right there. You, you just you just got us double striked here. Edit it out then. <laughs> All right, I won't say it. I was going to say No, it's fine. Right here. Wink, wink. <laughs> the idea that January 6th was set up. And, and, and here's, look, um, I'll tell you this much, and, and I don't I don't like to do the infighting and stuff like that with alternative media people, but you know, when you when you when you start, it's one thing to get stuff wrong, it's one thing to get carried away with something that you might believe in. It's another thing to say something that you know is demonstrably false. So I'm just gonna say this, all right. And um okay, all right, Alex Jones really beat was beating the drum on this stop the steal stuff. And he had on a frequent guest, his name is Steve Pachinik. Does that ring a bell? Has anybody ever heard of Steve Pachinik? He, he literally is intelligence, uh, was involved in uh, running some of the coups in Latin America over the several uh, in the past. And he also was the guy that uh, helped write the Tom Clancy books. That's that's why you know they're they seem so realistic and, and, and accurate in terms of their depictions of intelligence operations, right? And he's in there. Talking about, uh, you know, they had this one thing about the um, uh, there was going to be a blockchain watermark, and you know, Trump's going to win. And if you if you ever heard some of these theories come out during the four years of Trump, every couple months they kept saying something like the military is going to take over and they're going to arrest all the uh, Hillary and all the bad people. And then, and you know, first of all, and, and Alex pushed it, and and you first of all, it's like, well. If, in, if the military takes over, dude, that's not good. I don't care if they're good guys or not. Like you, once the military takes over, what makes you think they're going to give it back is the first thing that's that's a red flag. The second part is you got Steve Pachinik caught blatantly lying. And the third part is David Knight was one of his uh, anchors who basically had his own show and, you know, was was always saying this is this is nonsense. Uh when it came time for the stop the steal right before January 6th, he fired David Knight. David Knight's doing his own thing now. And he, and he talks about this basically every day. He'll bring this back up saying that, you know, uh, that was a psyop to get all these people who, you know, um, who, you know, thought that they were really going after the deep state and thought they were going to save the country. And uh, that they got set up there so that they could have, a domestic, their, their domestic terror laws that you're trying to push. It's, it's your second 9-11, basically. And, um, you know, I'm sorry, man, because I knew that based on the way that the, the, the tensions were, that something wasn't going to go right. Because whoever won, they were going to say the other side cheated. They were all, That was the narrative they were pushing the whole time. And lo and behold, uh, you know, I, I told them, I said, don't go anywhere near that place. Like, if they didn't already file lawsuits to get this thing put away, you know, to actually challenge these votes, like nothing good's going to happen. You know, I thought it was going to be some kind of riot or something was going to happen. I, I know I'm getting into too much de detail on this, but, um, you know, that 
clearly that was that was the goal. And um, let me pause and let somebody comment if you have a comment. Well, I don't appreciate the fact that you're accusing Alex Jones, one of my favorite guys, of being responsible for a, a government agent, a, a limited hangout, controlled opposition, and producing a psyop to get to get folks doing that because uh, Eduardo knows how much I like Alex Jones. And, and I'll say this though, by the way, it's one of the first people that I started listening, like when he was doing the Bohemian Grove thing and he, you know, he, but he, he was, and he used to, you know, he used to say, we got to stop the false left, right paradigm. He used to say that, uh, you know, that all this anti-Muslim stuff is just a, a CIA psyop to, they're going to turn it against the American people. But then he ends up leading people to, to the, to the, uh, to the Capitol on January 6th. Like, how do you say, how do you say that 10 years ago? But then when the moment comes where they, where they set it up, you leave people there. Certainly very suspicious. You know, I would, I would say that. Um, and there's, there's some, there's, I mean, this is going to, this is going to open up another, another trajectory. So I don't want to do this yet. So I want to wait to see if there's any, uh, any thoughts or anything. But it has to do with these plans, these 20, 50, 70 year plans is the comment I eventually want to make here. Eduardo or Kenny? I mean, <laughs> we're into, into, into territory that I I have tried very hard to stay away from, but I feel that this is interesting and so I think we should continue. <laughs> this is like the stuff I always used to see long ago when YouTube wasn't as censored and algorithmic i used to just sort of click away or put down not interested please don't show these anymore on my youtube feed <laughs> before all the heavy heavy censorship of youtube days <laughs> but go ahead unless kenny wants to ask something oh, okay, I, so I, I suspect again um you know this connects back to uh media right and how um how partial truths uh, are get skewed one way or the other, uh, because I think that's the best way for you know these big lies to get pushed through, right? Like they possess partial fat facts, and they're uh, swayed one way or the other. Um, you know, whether it be uh, 9/11, whether it be uh, this uh, pandemic, uh, you know, uh, the again operation. What is it? Uh, the Fast and Furious, right? Like with the DEA and you know Mexican cartels, that you know um, again, like the, the media doesn't have to tell like a whole entire lie; they just have to manipulate enough. Uh, and and people like Alex Jones and you know on both sides, you know liberal conservatives, just just have to run with it and you know and create that binary, right? Like that to pin people against each other, uh, like the general public at least. Yeah, that's that's when I really started to like, and it was right around the Trump. It was right before the Trump thing. I noticed like he started getting real, real uh, anti-Muslim. He was never like that before. He stopped talking about the Federal Reserve, and he kept saying the left, the left, the liberals, the Democrats. He never used to do that. He had Quan L X on back in the day, the leader of the New Black Panther Party, and they had, and they he didn't sit there and berate the guy. Like they actually like agreed more than they disagreed. Like so, it was like, what is this guy doing? Like I, you know, and um, but as you say, it just seemed to me like um, 
you know, right, to polarize, and, and that's where we're at right now. You know, this is why this is why we're having this conversation because we're polarized. And you know, I just, you know, I'm sorry that for anybody that that's uh, still that, that, that's offended or doesn't like what I'm saying about the guy. But listen, I used to listen to the guy. All right, and um, you know, especially at this point in the game. Uh, like they're they're rolling that domestic terror law. I, I'm not gonna say anything. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm not giving the benefit of the doubt at this point. Right? There's, there's no room for that. Like you, you know what I mean? It's 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 you know it's not a theory. It's like you you know you basically were there at, at that time. You know, and um, maybe I'll maybe I'll jump. Let me let me suggest this for a second. All right, let's say. We're talking about those, those planning, these, these uh, planning for these uh, these cycles, right? Planning for these crises and at these different moments in time. Um, so 9-11 was on 2001, 9-11-2001, okay? It's 20 years from 9-11 to 2021 when they had the six. So it's 20 years. You just had event 201. Then you have Agenda 21, okay? And the election date was on 121-21, which is, which is uh, I forget what they call it. It's um, um, palindrome, thank you. Okay, this is numerology. So this is where we're starting to talk about the occult stuff. You know, now it could just be total coincidence, but if you, if, if you think like, if these people do think that way, uh, and they do make plans long term. And by the way, companies, you know, companies make 50 year plans. I mean, that's just that's that's just what they do. So, um, you know, all everything I've talked about sort of sort of comes together. And then you've got and then and we'll talk about it later. You know, Stanley Kubrick's 2001 Space Odyssey. And there's all kinds of Freemasonic occult stuff in there. And it's about transhumanism. Like in the end, you know, with the, the, the AI ship. It's really, it's really weird. It's really trippy at the end, but basically, you know, the, the, you know, they have to uh, overcome the AI. But really, the theory is because he goes off into space. It's the idea that once you tr once you pass this this dimension, like there's no there's no coming back. Basically, you don't get back to Earth. You don't get back to being a, the the old normal, right? So. I know that's that's kind of out there, but that's a way to sort of tie in all the things we've talked about: the planning, the occult, the intelligence, and the eugenics. And and what you're describing is a way that people who go, who go by New World Order can understand the patterns and say that 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 those numeric things are part of how they would be evidence of the of the planning of these things. Uh, it would not the not the major part of the planning. That would be more kind of like. You can find other evidence of planning, but the, the numeric stuff is what connects it in, in the minds of the new world of people to the to those occult beliefs that said that these people who are doing the planning also are trying to give their give their plan special juice by putting them on the proper days in which they can really go. Um, that that's how I understand that. Correct? Yeah, 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 yeah. They 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 would think that you know uh, when the literally when the stars align that they'll have a better chance of. Uh, writing on, writing the crisis and ending up on top. If they not just don't just pick an arbitrary date. Twenty years from now, right? It should it should align numerologically and astrologically, right? And then you know they feel or they believe that 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 gives them an edge, right? We either could end on there, but you haven't really gotten to talk about eugenics and transhumanism 
Kenny, what do you, what do you think? You're the guy whose time is limited. I mean, I honestly think eugenics is like a whole episode in its own, probably. Um, and, 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 you know, just to really dive in there, because um, obviously, obviously it has implications to, you know, what we're seeing right now with the pandemic, you know, and, and, and you know, AI and biotech and all this stuff. Um, and so I, I think we maybe pushing it to like make an episode on that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And can transhumanism, we'll do another episode where Jake, you can oh, give us another strike. <laughs> Let me do the, Okay. So maybe I'll, you got time for, I'll end with this and that'll yeah. be the transition to that thing. Yeah. I, I got but it might, it might be a few weeks from now. Cause I want to do these. Oh, yeah, no, I don't rush, man. No rush. So let me, so since we're, since we're on, I, since I mentioned Space Odyssey 2001, okay, I'm going to go ahead and we're going to go to Freemasonry. Okay, so I've got tons. I'm not going to go through all these people, but these are others. You've got royal families, you've got Rothschilds, you've got eugenicists, you've got presidents, you've got Cecil Rhodes, you've got Skull and Bones members, all those people intersect here. But I'm just going to give you a little a taste of their their uh, occult theories. I'm gonna go ahead and grab this thing. And you're talking about the occult theory of all these folks that you have listed here, plus some other folks that are not, that are not listed here, correct? Yes, yes, yes. And this is a very abbreviated list. Yeah. So this is not the typical uh, square and compass symbol, but you can see it's got the square and the compass, right? Yeah. Under there, and it's like two. Uh, now, it's typically there's a G in the middle. Right? And the G stands for three things. The G stands for gnosis, geometry, and God. Okay? So we've talked about Gnosticism, so you can plug that straight in. Okay? And then you can understand the other two through the gnosis, meaning this. You can become your own God through the gnosis of understanding the secrets of geometry, meaning the secrets of the universe, right? And if you think of just like, think of like fractal universe or fractal CG, like look at how realistically you can portray like, like uh, with computer graphics, you can make it look like real people with, with fractal graphics. And a fractal is like a mountain, which is basically, you know, a triangle. It's just a bunch of layered triangles. Okay. And so if you watch, um, and these are Masonic symbols in Space Odyssey 2001. So anybody who wants to watch that after this, just watch the beginning. It's pretty long. There's no, uh, you know, there's no talking, but it's like these, it's the story of evolution, all right? And you got these apes. And, um, you know, it starts off that they're like, they're, they're foragers. Um, and they're, they're um, like, what do you call it? Or herbivores. And, um at one point, you know, and it's like they have to hide at night because it's dark. They have to hide from the animals. And there's this other group of apes, and they're uh, they're and they crawl around on all fours, and they're drinking this water at this water hole. And the other group of apes, they're trying to get the water, and then they kind of like yell at each other, and they get scared away. And the one apes, they keep the water. So the other apes, they kind of they fall asleep one morning or one night, and they wake up, and there's this obelisk, and it's a perfect square perfect square right it's not natural right there's no perfect square like that in in nature like you maybe might find a, a little sample i mean it's like a perfect obelisk and it's really long and tall and then the monkeys are sitting there and it's coming it gives off this weird sound right but also the monkey's looking at it and as he looks up 
he sees the moon, the curve, a curved line of moon. And he looks at that, and then he looks down, and he sees a bone. There's a bone. It's a curved half of a circle. The, the obelisk is the square. That's your angles in geometry. The circle is your compass. That's your circles in geometry. All shapes can be created with either curved lines or straight lines and angles created between straight lines. And when he looks up and contrasts the square with the compass or the angle with the circle, and then he looks down and sees that the bone is the same shape, now he is abstracted into uh, the transcendent principle of abstract geometry. In other words, he sees that the circle exists in all these different forms in nature. And then from that, he figures out that he can hit this, he can use these curved bones and he can make the bones spin. And from that, he figures out, I can use this bone as a weapon. He figures out he can smash. So, so it's through the gnosis of the abstract concept of geometry that he learns how to use tools. And now he starts, now he evolves. He starts to walk on his feet. And as he walks on his feet, then he goes over to that water hole and he clubs these other monkeys. And this is the story of evolution, right? And it's and, and this ties it back into the whole military stuff. And you can think of, right, we've talked about this. All of this technology that's getting rolled out, all has uh, origins in military, right? All the, the uh, geospatial intelligence, your social credit, your, uh, your brain-computer interface, all that stuff. Uh, and you can think about even like your facial recognition. That's just geometry. So you take the abstract principles of geometry you, trans, you transfer it from architecture and engineering to create leverage for weapons and building and things like that. You put it in the abstract through biometrics. If you look at like a facial recognition, what is it? It's a bunch of triangles that come together. And then the aggregate degrees of all the angles on those triangles, that's your unique biosignature. And through that, now you're in the realm of digital biometrics, meaning now you can merge with the abstract geometry through computation. And you can become your own God through virtual reality and augmented reality. You can go into a state of uh, digital gnosis and you can basically be your own, your own God. And so, so that sort of ties, you know, the, uh, the occult theory with the eugenic theory with Stanley Kubrick stuff with the, with the military technology. Right? And so we'll, we can, we can end, we can end there as a, a that'll bring us to uh, eugenics and transhumanism next time. That opening scene to, to uh, 2001 is definitely worth watching. Yeah, I, I, I give it to the students. All, and I, I always joke. I say, and that's the story of evolution. And everybody laughs. Like, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, no, it, 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 just just watch that scene. If you don't want to watch the whole thing, just watch that scene. But then but then the last part is this, right? I, should, I, I forgot one of the most important parts. So after he clubs that monkey in the head, then he goes and throws the bone up and the bone spins and then it goes up in the sky and as it's spinning it fades to a space station that's spinning in orbit all right and so then that's the metaphor that that right from that simple idea of and this is what modern uh evolutionists believe right they say that we don't we basically do not evolve. even even julian huxley said it when he's in when he coins transhumanism and new bottles for new wine he says we don't really it's not through biological selection and uh, genetic mutation that we actually evolve anymore. It's through the, the manipulation of the environment and our interface with our technologies. It's through our, it's through our evolving technology. Uh, you know, at, for the longest time, you know, just 
building infrastructure and, and, tech and uh, you know, weapons and agricultural stuff. But now it's literally biotech where we're going to use it to re-engineer uh, the mind and the body itself, right? And to achieve, right, uh, you know, to go back to that, those, these higher states of consciousness or whatever. I don't remember who, but I remember someone saying that basically those people in Silicon Valley are Malthusian, you know, in a sense. You know, uh, definitely. Okay, so uh, Bill Gates, for sure. His his dad, William H. Gates Sr. Um, you know, he he. You can see some of his speeches where he talked about you know neo Malthusianism, and he was uh, uh, the board of either International Planned Parenthood Federation or just Planned Parenthood. And, you know, Margaret Sanger, she, when it was the American Birth Control League, it was, it was eugenics. I've, I've read her primary sources. And, you know, they'll even, mention, they'll even admit that she was a eugenicist and a Malthusian. And it wasn't, uh, she, she, and in particular, she had something called the, the Negro Project because she didn't, she didn't think that, you know, there should be too many black people, but she didn't like Eastern European people either. And uh, it wasn't just like we need to get rid of, you know, the bad specimens, but we don't want there to be too many people at all. And, and William Gates Sr., um, Bill Gates's dad, he was the board to that. And he's got speeches where he where he talks about it as a neo-Malthusian project. Right. And, you know, in the, in the neo-Malthusian era, it's, you know, they're not going around necessarily sterilizing like they used to. Uh, but, you know, the goal is, is still basically the same. So definitely Bill Gates um, and, um, you know, uh, well, Jeffrey Epstein was, you know, he was into, you know, he wanted to, wanted to seed the, the, the uh, thought he, he thought he, he thought he was going to uh, seed some of these, these young girls with his DNA and, you know, was, was uh, partnering with other geneticists that were, were uh, allowed eugenicists. So um, those are two examples I can I can think of as far as uh, Silicon Valley, but it wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me if there were others. Um, uh, oh, who's the one guy? William Shockley, um, less lesser known. He was uh, um, he's the guy that started the uh, repository for germinal semination. It was it was the Nobel Prize uh, sperm bank. Was, I was trying to come up with the, the actual name for it, but. Um, and you know he he uh, he actually that's what a lot of people know him for. But he actually was one of the uh, early pioneers of Silicon Valley. So uh, there's there's another example as well. And I, I suspect that when we discuss eugenics, uh, we might come back to people like Bill Gates and the likes because uh, you know I, I think not, not, well I became aware recently of obviously we know that Bill Gates is very much invested in like. Are interested in vaccines worldwide you know this has been a project of his pet project he's also the biggest private owner of farmland in the u.s and he's invested in you know things like uh impossible meats and you know the other you know the two real big players in that market um you know and this has this these things have implications for the future right of, of humanity and, and even our diets and our eco diversity and all this stuff um so I suspect we'll come back to him. Yeah, you just reminded me there's a speech that's called Innovating to Zero. I want to say it was wrong, like 2010. And in it, he's, he goes up and there's got an equation. It's, it's like, it's population, climate emissions, 
something else. And then he says, now we got to get one of these numbers to zero. And then he kind of chuckles. And uh, But basically, you know, he, he's talking about overpopulation. Well, if we do a really good job with vaccines and healthcare, you know, we can basically lower, uh, lower, lower the population. And, you know, and then, uh, some people would say that's because, you know, he's going to depopulate with the vaccine. Other people would say, no, what it means is, in the, you know, in like so-called third world countries, people tend to have more babies in, for a couple of reasons. One is in an agrarian society, need, right, you need people to help, you know, manage the farm, family farm, but then also healthcare, you don't have that great healthcare. So, you know, uh, you know it's, it's a high infant mortality rate. And so, you know, you tend to, you know, more babies there in, in case because you know, some of them aren't going to make it. It's just kind of understood. So, so they, so they say. Other people would say what he really meant was that if we improve people's health, their access to, to jobs and things like that, then they will. Um, they they won't have they won't have as many babies, right? Like like we'll go voluntarily. They won't need to, and they, they voluntarily won't. Um, so so yeah, but that's uh, that's that's there as well. If Jake, if you want to wrap up on that, then maybe any final thoughts from Kenny or Eduardo? I don't have any. Um, I just, I think it's very dense and digesting as we are in the episode itself. <laughs> maybe after the episode part three, I will have lots of questions after this, for sure. Um, yeah. I do, I do wonder, you know, if maybe we'll do it with Jake or separately, but, you know, at least from like a Marx, Marxist perspective, you know, like to see some parallels in how we would explain some of these things that, you know, we're talking about here, these structures, because at least from my point of view, you know, from my understanding of Marxism, um, you know, I see a lot of parallels here and I, and, you know, like, there's, there's not that different than what I think of, you know, of, you know, whether it be the elite class You've seen uh, people as playthings, uh, the institutions that they form to execute, you know, uh, th their will, you know, and their, um, you know, their market system and, and all these things. So I I'm just wondering, I don't know if this will be part of this episode, but, you know, I would be interested in doing that, you know, from the Marxist point of view. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing that maybe at one point we'll be like, okay, what do we make of this if if we if we understand or if Marxists people who claim Marxism understand the world in terms of capitalist class, working class, profits, socialized production, anarchy of exchange, crisis due to the to issues of profitability and overproduction and organic composition of capital. We have a whole different way of understanding the world, but I do think there are elements of the New World Order thing that, to me, make sense of. Of structures that I would say could very much help make a capitalist class a much more effective capitalist class, um, even though I do think there are pretty big differences, um, particularly as it relates to elements of planning versus a system of competition. Um, I think those are that's a big difference. That doesn't necessarily mean we have to sit here and differ, disagree over what's going on with COVID and da da da. I do suspect it comes down to things like this: that if if our country makes war with China, I believe Marxists are going to make war with our government. I'm not so convinced that New World Order people will do that. I think New World Order people will be like, well, it's partially China. It's partially the United States. This is a confidence game anyway. So they don't understand that, no, we will, when, when our government makes war with China, 
our job is to make war with our own government. And I don't think the NWO people get that. And that's going to be a problem. Not a pro like a, it'll be a problem because I believe that they're not going to fight the right, they're not going to fight the right enemy at that point. And that would be one element of if you don't get the system right, then I think they're eventually it's going to come back to bite you in the ass. So that's one area. It does look like, but what is what it looks like right now, Andy, is a lot of Marxist socialists are in co complicit with them. <laughs> yes, yeah. I mean, so I don't, I don't know how they'll be fighting the enemy if that is the framework. If they are, at least the socialists that I know of in in the Bay Area, and are com I, complicit I, with the government. And I think that's why it's important to listen to things like this, you know, this framework to understand how these mechanisms, you know, bring people back into the fold. Marxists, people that claim Marxism, but they side with the state, like you say, Eduardo. Right. right. Because at the moment, like, Mar Marxism, yeah, I, I see very few people, uh, you know, right. dissecting things in a way that uh, has an explanatory power. And I can guarantee you right now, AJ is pulling her hair out, mm -hmm. and Brian is not liking what I'm going to say, but let's be clear, the Marxists have gotten this whole period wrong. Like, and it's been mostly the NWO people who you have to listen to to kind of try to figure out the, the kind of conspiratorial bullshit that's going on. That's clear. I would just say that for me, as much as I love talking to Jake and, and, and respect so much, not just him, but even other people who claim NWO, how what they brought, I have, I'm still not convinced that they get the right idea about the dynamic of the system that's in play here. Um, and so, unfortunately, the rest of my Marxist fools friends are all, you know, trying to get everyone vaccinated and that, that nothing good's going to come of that. And so Jake's been having to sit here, listen to us talking. Oh, no, 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 I, I like that because you know, I'm thinking about something like you said, like that's so you know, we've mentioned that there are a range of uh, perspectives when it comes to like new world order activism. And, you know, there probably are some, some second amendment type people that probably would want to take up arms in uh, certain scenarios. Um, but then there's others like myself who, who would say that the way that we beat the new world order is to stop both war with China and any domestic violent conflicts. Because the oligarchs of the New World Order, they want that conflict because it will justify um, cracking down on their own people and, and committing explicit acts of violence against the American people and our brothers and sisters abroad. And at that point, it won't matter which end of the spectrum you're on, everybody will be considered enemies of the state. So I and, and others would say that the real solution to this New World Order agenda is to, is to speak the truth and wake people up so that they can opt out of the order out of chaos dialectic, right? We talked a lot about psyops from intelligence agencies today, and the goal of a psyop is to coerce your consent more than it is to force your submission. So, so I and others would say that uh, nonviolent restoration of the Constitution and Bill of Rights through local activism and community organizing is the real solution. Right, I forget who it was. Maybe it was John Lennon. But somebody. It's a kind of a cliche quote. Like, what if, what if one day they started a war and nobody showed up? So I think that's the best strategy, uh, and that's why I do what I do. Right, to to speak the truth, wake people up, build those communities of truth, so that people uh, won't show up to that to that final uh, conflict and um, 
and just opt out of the order out of chaos dialectic. So, and so Jake, would you be, if we do that, if we do that episode, you'd be interested in being part of that? Yeah, man. Anytime, you know, I'm, you know, I'm happy to come back anytime. All right. That might be interesting. Okay. Yeah. Y'all anyway. are going to come over so you can, so you can, so I can, so you just tell me so I can be the one to keep my mouth shut and y'all can, uh, <laughs> Right, I, I like tell me what y'all is your your perspective, and um, I've got I've got some questions about just some like how y'all conceive of things like you know private property and you know middle class and you know uh, you know uh, other other mechanisms that that um, yep. like that, that the right would typically think you know like 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 statecraft and things like that you know because i don't gather most people think that communism or people that identify as marxists are like you know hardcore stalinists or maoists or something like people that want like a centralized state and i don't that's i don't think that's the case i don't think that's the case with at least a lot of people so i don't know maybe i'm misspeaking but i'd like to ask y'all just some of those questions that you can explain like you know how, how all that fits into the into the equation and stuff like that I, yeah. the element I, of freedom bill of rights like how does that fit into a marxist framework stuff like that i do personally believe most people who claim socialism right now are pretty in love with state power that's my sense and that's a problem for for us for our left it's a problem Oh yeah, no, and I, I mean, you know, um, I mean, you can I, you can see that, but I mean, then there's that doesn't mean that's everybody, right? That, right. that, that, that identifies as that, and so you know, I don't I don't put y'all in that category, so that's why I'd like to hear your thoughts and have other people that you know I guess are on are more on my end of the table hear that from y'all, so that it's not like you know what I mean. They don't have that knee jerk reaction, like you know, because yeah. you identify as Marxist, that means you want to freaking uh, you know. Well, round up all the libertarians and string them up or whatever, right? You know, so. Jake, we'll have a nice place for you. You'll have a nice, we'll keep you in the nicer prison section. I got to, do I, do I, I get a little prison? Okay. Do I get, um, I get a Zoom log in there? Nicer section of the gulag. So, as, long, as long as you behave. <laughs> do I get to, what do you, what do you, is it going to be like a digital box or, or is it going to be like an old school gulag like, I'm old school man I, I, I don't like those old digital boxes I'm old school we gotta do let it. me ask you this do I gotta get a vaccine oh shit man that's a tough question now. <laughs> I say if there's no vaccine lock me up man <laughs> you gotta give me three squares a day no vaccines and no brain computer interfaces no no screens hey man no. <laughs> <laughs> Get me out of here. <laughs> Thanks for taking the time to go over this. This is, I think, really interesting stuff. So I don't know. I'm, I think it's going to, anybody who hears it, I think is going to have some, have to have some things to think about in terms of, well, what, how do you think the world is organized, right? If you don't agree with Jake, if you don't agree with Kenny or Andy or Eduardo, you do have to answer the question, how do you think this world is, or, is organized? Because if you don't try to answer that question, you're not going to be able to deal with it. Well, I hope I don't get you, get you too much guff from uh, from your your friends. Uh, <laughs> in the meantime, <laughs> you, let them know you're gonna have a break from me for a while. You know, they, they'll, they'll be all right. Calm them down before I come back. Give them a break. That does it for this week's episode. John Kleisik is the author of Spore World Order: The Technocratic Globalization of Corporate Education by Trendy Books. 
and is a contributor to New Politics, the Center for Research on Globalization of Ed News, the Interpret Report, the Dissident Voice, and Unlimited Hangout. Um, we'll link to uh, his work and uh, articles or anything, his YouTube channel, on in the episode notes below. Um, What's Left is a weekly political podcast channel challenging the mainstream left. We post information about our topics and our guests on the episode notes wherever you found this episode or on our blog at what-s-left.webnote.com. Um, <clears throat> you can find past episodes to this podcast slash channel there and connect with us. I remind folks, if you like anything that you have heard here, please share your favorite episode, rate, review, turn on your notifications and subscribe to any of our platforms on Spotify, iTunes Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, BitChute, um, Libri, Odyssey, O-D-Y-S-E-E, Libri, uh, L-B-R-Y, uh, YouTube, or Telegram. If you would like to give us feedback about something you've heard or suggest something for us to cover, contact us through our blog. I'm Eduardo Varca with co-host Kenny Stepeda and Andy Lipson. Thanks again, John Kleisig. Hello. And you're welcome to our show anytime, of course. <laughs> well, you guys got to come by over and over. Thank you, everyone. <laughs>